The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's Big News Coming Soon podcast. And this week I'm joined by Stephen Kelly, otherwise known as Cowboy Kelly, otherwise known as Three Books Left, the only TikToker of your generation, I believe. <laughs> as Prince Toast would say, um, the biggest uh, TikTok star in Ireland of his generation. In fact, he's the only TikTok star of his generation in the country. So a lot of people would know you from TikTok, Stephen. A lot of people would know you from Instagram, your social media. And then some mm-hmm. people would know you from the Hardy books. Yes. When you played a character called Cowboy Lavin. Cowboy Lavin. Many moons ago. Let's start with the, the name Cowboy. Where did that come from? The name Cowboy came from my good friend, Martin Maloney, a.k.a. Eddie Durkin. So he plays, Martin plays Eddie. And it was him that christened, I'd say he christened... Most of us, bar actually French Toast himself, uh, Peter Cassidy, <clears throat> they were trying to come up with a name for Peter on the spot and he he just happened to be eating French Toast that morning and then they just named him French Toast. But I suppose it was because of the way I dressed when I was in my teens. I was a year older than the boys. I was probably Martin's age, Martin Maloney's age. So we were a little bit older. And I was always into, I don't know, like cowboyish stuff and America. And then I got into the doors, Jim Morrison. But I always dressed with the, the jeans and the shirt where other lads were wearing T-shirts and baggy trousers. I was wearing the shirts, the boots, the buckle belt, maybe even a hat the odd time. <laughs> and where did you go about getting cowboy boots in Swinford at that age? 
Oh, you'd get them. Yeah, you get them on a fair day or even when I went to America, I spent a while in America, a few months working out there. And of course, you'd find them there. No problem. I had these really cool cowboy boots. I spent a fortune on them and they were the coolest thing ever. In fact, they lasted until the second season of the Hardy Bucks. And do you still have that kind of style till today? Pretty much. I was I was a bit like Johnny. I was a bit of a Johnny Cash dude. I was all black for years. Like <laughs> looking back now, I was crazy. And it was actually in America where um, people were telling me, you know, you can change it up a bit. You know, you don't have to wear black all the time or black and white. And by the time I was coming home to Ireland, I started to like <laughs> wear colors. <laughs> 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 There's more to life than black and white. Let's come back to your childhood then. So mm. in Swinford, you you were born and reared in Swinford. Born and reared in Swinford, aka Castletown, for any Hardy Bucks fans out there. And uh, you renamed Swinford to Castletown for the TV show. Yeah. And I don't know why, because there's so many Castletowns in the country. Like so many. Yeah. <laughs> what was school like for you growing up then? Were you were you an introvert or were you big into drama or acting? No, or? I was I was an introvert for most of my school days. Like in national school I started off and because four out of the five teachers were somewhat related to me, in fact the headmaster Porrick Gavin, he was my father's uncle, so my great uncle. And then there was his daughter Marie Fallon and like they were all all somewhat related to me. So was this a small little village school? This is Melik, and it was a it was an unbelievable country school. I mean, people used to come. It had a, such a brilliant name. It was only a couple of kilometers away from me. People used to come from Ackle to it and everything. Wow! Yeah, it was had a, it had a great name, and I was it was I was blessed to have the school like that. But for the first few years, I was yeah I was popular, and for some strange reason. We'll say third class, fourth class. I just started to get very shy, and I'd probably correlated with me putting on. I put on weight. I put on weight, and when the weight went on, my confidence went. As not that I was badly bullied or anything, but I knew that I'd lost that edge. <laughs> Do you know? It was a weird thing, and, and even though you're so young, you are conscious that you you have put on that weight. And I probably continued that and I kept going up and down away. So that sort of affected my confidence a bit. And I became shy-ish. Yeah, definitely shy. I was shy way up until 16, 17 till third year when I actually probably started going out working with my father and that built up the confidence again. Was there pressure on you in national school to perform well when you were related to so many of the teachers? Academically, yeah, there would have been. Um, That must have been tough. It was, or, or did it come easy to you? It, academically, it c- came easy to me. Probably too easy. It it sort of put gave me this false sense of security that I didn't need to study. <laughs> you know, national school was a breeze to me. If I really tried, national school was a breeze to me. In fact, I was up at the top of the up at the top of the classes, and I remember I was the only thing was I was not neat. I remember there was this lad in national school. Uh, if I can remember his name correctly, Finian O'Neill, and I've never seen him since National School. He became an architecture. So that's an accountant for an accountant, I'm pretty sure. He's the head of J.P. Yeah. Morgan now or something. Crazy, <laughs> crazy intelligent guy. And we'd be always like, I'd be always competitive with him and there was a couple of others as well. But yeah, 
Um, I know what you mean and I can relate to that because I put on weight when I was in about fourth and fifth class. Yeah. And a good chunk of weight. Like, yeah. But I wasn't into sports or anything. Yeah. I wasn't playing anything. And then going into first year, I was I was a good size going into first year. And she's yeah, like, it is a real confidence knocker. Oh, unless you're over. super confident. Because your friends are shifting girls down the back yeah. of the bicycle yeah, shed yeah. and yeah. going off to teenage discos, getting the shift, and you're not getting any shifts. No. And, and, it's, not, and it's not even, like, the thing is, just because, it's not because you're heavy that you're not getting the shift. It's because your confidence is shot. And that's purely it. So confidence is, is, is a, an equalizer for a lot of things. Yeah. And secondary school then, how did you get on there? Secondary school was, I went into secondary school then from the country school and a lot of my friends, because I said, like I said, Milik was, Milik school was such a great school that they were coming from all over the place. So then when everyone went to secondary school, they all went back to their local towns and maybe not all of them went into secondary school. So I was thrown into a secondary school where I had no you know, no one to look after me, no one to keep an eye out for me. I was in this big bad world and I just sort of drifted into myself then. And again, it's not like I was badly, I was, wasn't was badly bullied or anything like that, but I wasn't, I also wasn't um, put forward, you know, where I would have been in national school and, and I, I had to fend for myself and I didn't have that confidence. So you pretty much went unnoticed, really? V- very much unnoticed, yeah. And I ended up, <laughs> Mitching a lot Like Mitching an awful lot What year did you start that? I'd say A little bit in first year Into second year <laughs> Then when Martin Maloney came over from Liverpool Who 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 went later on to become And write the Hardy Bucks That's when we, when we teamed up a bit and He's Eddie Durkin Eddie Durkin, yeah We schemed and schemed and schemed I, I went three months Three months without going into class We've become friends over the last few weeks and months, yeah. and I feel like this podcast is, is going to, I, I feel like we're going to learn a lot about each other, but we're going mm-hmm. to be quite similar by the end of it, because when you come in here and I said, do you want a cup of tea? You said, yeah, a nice strong cup. Yeah. And I'm the same, <laughs> a dropping yeah. of milk. Yeah, dropping of milk, tea bags to the left and if, if, if at all possible. And even going into first and second year, on an earlier podcast I spoke about this with Kieran, I, when I went into first year, I started writing my own notes. So I'd, yeah. get, I'd get a note off my mother and I'd rewrite it. Oh, yeah. So from first year on, they thought mum's writing was mine. Yeah. And sure, I was away with it. Of course. And then by the time TY came, they never saw me again. Wait, wait for this one. I was that good. I became, if I had put more as much effort in to my w- schoolwork as I did trying to mid school and get away with things, I would have been the Taoiseach by now. I mean, maybe that's a qualification too. <laughs> <laughs> what made it easy for me to go mission was, even though I lived two miles from the school, my parents worked. My mother was gone at half seven every morning. My father the same, if not earlier. So basically, I had the house to myself. The odd time my father might come back in the middle of the day. What uh, did your mum work at? She worked in Baxter in Swinford, or Travnall as it was started, started off, and then it became Baxter. And she was there for, I think, 24 five years before she retired and how many is in your family i'm the oldest of three i'm the i'm the only boy uh, although i have an uncle that's that's only four years older than me and he lived right beside me as well and that was another thing in school i'm going to get back to the, showing you how devious i was yeah but i was i lived very close as well to my grandparents my grandmother on my mother's side my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side and they were so involved in my upbringing like my like i said my father was working a lot my mother was working a lot they were such wonderful such loving 
people and like he granted O'Hagan was like a second father to me really 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 was but and that's that's where I'm getting to with my deviousness I used to get the school report sent out but for some reason when they were building the house they got the in before I was even born they used to get their post because it was so close they'd get their post diverted to my grandparents house so I'd run up and I'd bring it down so I'd know what came from the school <laughs> or not so I'd be waiting for it and I'd bring it down and I'd open it right and if it was bad I'd I'd tip exit out go into the library <laughs> go into the library uh, photocopy it with a typed out so it looked like a blank sheet again and get people to write in the report <laughs> pure fraud pure fraud <laughs> pure fraud and it was the same with with anything and I got away with scheming for three months myself and Martin Maloney for three solid months and the only reason we got caught was we, I got we got a little cocky we used to go up we used to either play the computer at Martin's house or we'd go up the woods just talking pure and utter rawmish and in fairness Martin used to be always on about oh, we're going to write this we're going to do this we're going to channel four you know, we're going to, and later became, it later became true, didn't realize he was the genius that he was. We got a little cocky, it was about five to four, school ended at four o'clock, and we were walking down, down past the woods, and we just came out onto the street, and who do we meet? Only the teacher that we had had earlier that we hadn't gone to, and he nailed us the next day. He said nothing that day, but he nailed us the next day. It's, it's, some of the teachers didn't even know I was in their class. That's how long I'd been gone. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget Mr. <laughs> Kitchen. Lord of mercy on him. He's died. He died since. He hadn't a clue who I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can imagine them marching you into the class and him looking, going, "Is this a new fella?" Yeah, what? that's exactly how it was. Because I tell you what had happened. We'd we'd gone up a, a year. We were gone. I think this was after the junior sir. So this is into fourth year. And we had changed teachers, like it was a different teacher, obviously a higher level. And he hadn't a clue who it was. <laughs> so, but I remember being put down in the, I remember being put down in the, outside the principal's office and I was with Martin. And I was bidding panicked because like they didn't, my, my parents didn't know anything. Like I'd Would your dad redden your hole now or? Ah, it, me, my father would redden me hole if, if my mother like was mad at me, you know, otherwise he wouldn't care too much. What were you nervous about? Just upsetting my parents, of course, or, you know, I didn't want to let anyone down. But you had good respect for them. I'd like. go, of course I did, yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, and still do. My father was a massive, massive man, like he was a beast, six foot four and 28 stone, if not 30 stone at times. And he was big, big Josk of a man, a construction worker, plasterer by trade. And he, to, to look at him, if you give you the wrong look, you'd you'd melt. Yeah. <laughs> I admire that about you because when I was your age, when I was going through that at sixteen, seventeen, and I, I was acting out, yeah, and I didn't want to be in school, but it was because I was having a hard time. But I was, oh, I was right, little bollocks, yeah. you know. And I was acting out, and I was really, I was really bold, and I was really mean to them, you know. And it's it's wow. definitely one of my biggest regrets because I didn't know how to express what was going on inside me, and I didn't yes. know, I didn't know what was going on myself, yeah. And then when they're putting pressure on you to go to school and you don't know why you don't want to go to school and you don't know why you are the way you are, 
all you can do is shout and roar, and yeah. there's more shouting and roaring and clattering, and I and I. Well, I, I wouldn't. I regret I, that I did that. I have to admit, I wasn't like that. I was if if I was doing anything wrong, it was to myself. It was not going to school and thinking I'd get away with it, and I got away with it, and I got away with it again and again and again until you got caught. Mm. <laughs> but it was it was the fear of of upsetting them, not like I would. I'd rather I'd rather kick in the hole. Yeah. So you're, down, out, you're down outside the principal's office. I'm down outside the principal's office with Martin Maloney, and he just turned around. He said, "Stephen, he said, don't don't panic." He said, just, "When you go in, he said, pretend they're all naked," and I did, and I went in, and it was just like a breeze, and. I even tried to get away with them ringing my parents or sending the letter o- o- o home to my parents about me being caught, and I got away with it to a certain degree. <laughs> and I shouldn't be—I shouldn't be t- like I'm really, really letting the, the truth out now. I got that letter and I disposed of it, <laughs> and that was grand. And next thing, the phone calls started coming into the house, so I'd be first up to the phone. And I remember this one time: the phone was a little bit too close to the sitting room. And I knew well straight away it was f- it was school. What was time of the day was this coming? At? This was evening time. This would have been eight, half eight in the evening. This is like one probably wondering why they hadn't responded to the letter. And the phone wouldn't ring too often these no, days. No, no, no. Of course not. Yeah. So I knew there was something up. But I, I'd get to the phone, and like I went pu- puce red, and I, I tried to muffle. Like and I did. I got away with it, and they knew there was something up. So talk like, me through it. The phone rings. The phone rings. Hello. I go answer it. Hello, and I freeze, and I make up some this so what absolute do, what, rummage. What does he say? He says, "Can I speak to you? You know, Mary or Tony or your parents?" And I said, "They're you, not. They're not here." You and, knew and who it was straight away. Of, oh, I knew straight away. All right, like Father Steve, Father okay. Steve, a man. He was the head, the principal at the time, and I managed to like. R- bluff the phone call but my parents knew straight away there was something up but I bluffed around it like I went pew straight pew straight I was as red now as them curtains that are behind you can you remember and what I, you said just basically that the, there's no one here but I'd pass on the message they're gone to Tenerife <laughs> for a month <laughs> <laughs> and that was fine a day or two passed and I seen my mother She, my mother was passing up through the town on her way back from work on her way home from work, at the, her work finished at four, so did, so did school. And she was passing up and I seen Fa- uh, Father Steve out at the gate uh, from a distance. And I was like, what's he doing there? For? Like, he's never there. And God damn it, my mother passed up and he, I knew, I knew the way he was uh, angling that he was waiting for her. And then I seen the two of them together and I knew then the game was up. Game over. Game over, yeah. What happened then that evening? It, I think I delayed going home as much as possible, <laughs> and eventually I went home. And of course, I got the riot act written to me or or extended on me. But it wasn't too bad. It wasn't. It's never as bad. It's never as bad as you think it is. Ever. It needed to come to a head. Ah, oh, it did. Of course. I mean, if not, I would have went through the next three years. Yeah. W- without it, and did 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 I never scheme again? No, of course I did. <laughs> I, I just came. I became even uh, more cuter about it. Uh, now, in saying that, I could have. I could have been anything. I could have been absolutely anything I wanted to be, if I had continued in school and put as much effort into school as I put into scheme in school. What was your first job then? The, that was the problem. I went out after the third year. I was getting. I like got 
all honours in, 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 in junior cert and like they, they, uh, they my parents had notions my grandparents had bigger notions and I went out working with my father plastering notions as in they wanted you to be a doctor oh yeah a doctor yeah yeah my f- my I went out working with my father who I was just starting to it was just starting the boom times right and there was money aplenty like we had gone from the house had gone from my parents searching the Hoover bag for five pence or two pence or a penny to make up enough to buy a, a loaf of bread or a pack of cigarettes or something. The two of them smoked at the time. Um, Even though the two of them were working? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, plastering back then or construction work, the, the, you, there was plenty, there might have been plenty of work, but money wasn't great and you mightn't get paid at all or you might have to wait so long. There might be so long in 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 waiting and it was that like that as well for a lot and many jobs it's just that there was when the boom happened there was so many jobs coming that you were you, there was always a cash flow so always. your mom was the breadwinner then she was definitely the breadwinner she really was and she continued she had a steady income all through even after the the, the bust only for her even though she had stopped working she had she was always good with money and i i always said that she'd survive where others would die roaring so she was she was very careful with money. My father was an absolute head case with money. You know, he was just, you know, it was burning a hole in his pocket. It always was. But it's he, like later down the years, my father was diagnosed with bipolar. And that's that's a part of it. Like you just can't wait to spend money. What type of person are you? Which one are you? Oh, I'd be an absolute mix of the two of them. A mix of the two of them. I'd be careful enough. I'd... I would salt away some of it, but then I've I've also the tendency just to blow the lot as well. If I if I took a notion, you wouldn't buy an expensive jacket, but you'd pee it up against the wall. Oh, I'd buy both. I'd do both. Would you? Yeah. Oh, jeez, I've I've made some daft old purchases like a right, pair we'll, leather. We'll, pair, we'll, we'll yeah. get to that. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. But that must have been difficult enough on your dad too, with your mum being the breadwinner, was it? Yeah, but then, but what happened then, Alan? was the boom kicked in and as I said went from searching through the Hoover for a couple of pence to bringing home bags of cash I'm talking bags of cash bags of cash cash everywhere cash everywhere I remember him coming home it was I think it was around November time I, the reason I say it was it November time was because he came home with a bag of cash and he might have had a couple of pints which was very customary at the time after a Friday evening getting paid or whatever day you get paid, or even didn't matter. Like them times, you could have a few pints in the pub and then come home after work, you know, and drive home. And, and you'd be, you know, to be safe enough, I, I think cars weren't as fast and so on and so forth, but that's a different. <laughs> well, I don't, well, I don't think it was safe enough, but go on. <laughs> no, anyway. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But um, safer. There were, there were different times. Different times. There were different but, times. Because um, I, I, I saw an ad recently where they were sharing it. There was an ad, I think, in the 70s or 80s. Yeah. And it showed the gear stick of a car. Mm-hmm. And it said something like any more than five pints was, was too many. <laughs> yeah. There's an ad. Many ads like that. I'm not I'm not doing it justice now, but there is an ad somewhere like that. that. If, if, uh, if you can't remember how many you've had, I remember that one. Was oh, that another one? If you can't remember how many you've had, just have two more and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. God almighty. So anyway, time, the, the, the tables had turned then. 
Yeah. The boom came. Yeah. What did your dad do? He was in construction. In construction. And next thing he started to employ people, like more and more people. He ended up nearly having 50 people working for him. And then I, like, before that, I went out working with him after the junior cert. And I was getting paid that summer probably as much as some people are getting paid now in a factory. It was crazy money. You weren't getting an apprentice wage. No, no, I was getting the full proper the full, money. The proper money. Were you doing um, proper work? Oh, of course I was. I was a great worker. Absolutely great worker. Throwing I up buckets of stuff. Throwing up buckets, mixes, barras, lifting bags of cement. When lift when bags of cement were a weight, they were fifty kg. Now they're only twenty five kg soft. Well, that took the weight. So, that took the weight off you then. <laughs> did you like? Did you become very lean then? And oh, a hundred percent, yeah. And that gave me, not only that, it gave me great confidence as well. Um, it's interesting because I noticed in around second, third year, the lads in our school that had farms or that were mm-hmm. on the buildings, they were coming in after summer mm-hmm. and they were built. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm still here with my belly after eating Coke Pops all summer. <laughs> yeah, well, in saying that, I, I would have been, but I, I still didn't have proper confidence. I was, I taught myself confidence I forced myself to be confident l- even later than that. Maybe even after I left school, I was still, and I knew that I had to be pressed and I knew that the only person that could press me and change me was myself. But one of the best experiences you could ever have for confidence is a building site. Oh, it is, yeah. Because they will do nothing only rip the piss out of yeah. you, put you down. Yeah. Uh, you're the centre of the jokes every day of the yeah. week. Well, it's, it's flight or f- fight then. Absolutely. Because that's what I did when I left school. I went in doing a carpentry apprenticeship, but mm-hmm. I wasn't doing much carpentry. I was shuttering. I was doing a lot of concrete. And you were the centre of the jokes, yeah. really. Like, and yeah. you had to roll with them. You had to laugh and you had to get on with them. But it was a different type of joke. It wasn't like a joke in school that would be hurtful. Ah, 100%. They, they were, it was a character building. Absolutely. And it was, it was in a way, a, a constructive criticism. You were turning into one of the lads. Yeah. But You're you had to go through that. There was like an apprenticeship there too that you had to... An initiation ceremony. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. Now, in saying that, I was the boss's son as well. So some people treated me even worse. Yeah, that could go against you. Yeah, yeah. and other people then like actually right. like looked up looked up to me a little and I had a, had a mix of both. But I'd, I had to prove myself that it wasn't just... That I was the boss's son. But if you were a worker, you were sound. Yeah. They'd accept you. Oh, 100%. If you're getting so, some done. of the lads I'm still great friends with up till this day. And some of them are still taking the same piss out of me that they did way back then. I'd love to see every uh, young person doing a stent on a building site. Oh, I, it's a must. Donald Byrne was talking about it in a podcast we did a few weeks ago where in America they have to go through... Uh, colleges where you learn how to wire a plug and you learn mm-hmm. how to change the oil in your car and you learn how to do this, that and the other. And in school? Yeah. Well, I actually first, think that first should year be, third that, year. That should be definitely made compulsory here. Yeah. And I also think that the, the good idea that they have in America is that y- you do your driving test. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's crazy that it's not taught here. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And especially with, like, recently, even in our, in our own county, Alan, there's been a lot of Young deaths on 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 roads. Yeah, it's been crazy. So, I think it's definitely a must. Oh, it's definitely something we should be we should be doing. Um, let's get back to you on the building site. So the money was coming hand over fist, and you're, was coming you're hand only over in fist. fourth, fifth year at this stage. Yeah. Well, you see, that's it. I went into fourth year then, and any interest that I'd had in school at that stage was gone. 
Do you mind me asking what you were doing with your money? Oh, because that's that must have been huge money for you. Huge money. I I saved a little bit of it now, but in saying that, every weekend, even though I didn't start drinking until I was nearly eighteen, nearly eighteen, but I'd buy, I'd buy, I was very too generous. I was buying, nearly trying to buy friendship. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be always the one that'd buy it around, and maybe the second round if people weren't in fashion. Of was there people that took advantage? Oh, hundred percent. Did you know then? You kind of did, but you didn't want to rock the boat. But later on in years, you sort of figure them out fairly quickly, and then you you try and stamp that out straight away. But that comes with confidence, and that comes with experience. There's definitely people like that and you let them. And sometimes they could be very close to you. It's just the, some people are generous. Some people would just take it all day long and not reciprocate it. But sure, look, that's what makes the whole whole world go around. It's all experience. Did you do your leaving cert? Oh, I done my leaving cert, yeah. Yeah, oh, geez, um, that was one thing that my mother wanted me to do. She just wanted me to do the leaving cert. And I can only imagine, and I got a good leaving cert, if, I, if I'd only worked, if I'd only studied what I could have done, but what uh, would you have changed? If you got 600 points in the Leaving Cert then, what would you have changed? Uh, I was asked this before, and do you know what? I've had, a, I've had a great life, and I wouldn't change an awful lot. The way it's got, it worked out right now, obviously I have a couple of regrets, and then I have some beautiful things like I have five kids. I have five kids that I wouldn't change, five unbelievably healthy and beautiful kids, and I wouldn't change them for the world. And... Yeah. Is there anything, did you want to be anything growing up? Did you want to be a vet or did you want to be a doctor? No, I didn't. I wanted to be an entertainer. From a very early age? Not from a very, yeah, well, not really an early age. I didn't know what I wanted to be at an early age. I just wanted to fit in at an early age. Did you ever play games or dress up as anything or did you ever... No, no. I tell you what, when I started drinking, even though I was probably the last one to start drinking of my year or my age, I got into the doors and Jim Morrison. And I thought there was nothing like Jim Morrison. That's when I started really going to town in the black, the buckled belt, the the poetry, the um, wanting to get up and sing, even though I didn't have the confidence at the time for that and the Hardy Bucks really brought me out of that a little bit like Martin Maloney just threw me in the deep end like I had no idea what he was doing until one night he like after many about a year he went into railing and I met him one night in Galway it was near midnight walking down the street and he said remember all them things that I was writing years ago and that we were talking about he said well that's happening heard nothing more until I got a message off him the night before I was meant to meet him in, in Swinford. And he said, I said, what will I wear? He said, wear, he said, the most extravagant thing you have. And this was after, this was after I came back from America. And uh, so I thought to myself, you know what? I have a pair of leather trousers <laughs> that I bought out in America, probably influenced by Jim Morrison. And I wore that in and the rest is history. That was the Mitzi Turbo Cup. H- hang on now, we can't sidestep this. What age are you here? What age am I here? Yeah, when he got that phone call. Oh, I'm in my early to mid-twenties at that stage. 23? About that, yeah. And you own leather pants? 
wore leather, leather pants. Yes. Did anyone else in the country own leather pants at that stage? And I highly doubt it at my Where age. Where did you get them? And I got them in a shop called Wilson's in Boston. You I, walked into a shop in, yeah. and you said, I'm going buying leather pants. Yeah. So ah, the, come on I, I did $400 I spent on these leather pants and a leather hat as well. Were they comfortable? No, what the fuck? <laughs> were, they, were they bet on? No, they were, the thing is they were way too big for me. Like boot cut? Way big. Boot cut, yeah. yeah. Big boot cut. I remember going to out in Galway with them one night. Jesus, Stephen, that's a tough sell now. Yeah. Where did you wear them? I went to the nightclub in Galway a couple of times with them. <laughs> And I was getting loads of attention. By men. But not the right type of attention. <laughs> I'd say those lads wanting you to cut the arse out of them. Oh, I eventually copped myself on. I went to Amsterdam and brought them as well. Oh, I remember, I remember having this great, great, great day drinking in, in, uh, in this Irish bar in Amsterdam. Oh, my God. It has it is this chain of Irish bars around Europe. Something tells me it's like Kavanaugh's or something like that. Or Gavigans or something like that. But anyway, um, during the day, I was in great form. I was getting on mighty with the bar staff. And for some reason, I went and changed. I went back to the hotel and changed into these leather trousers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and a white. I, like, at, at that stage, I thought it was Jim Morrison. And when I got back, I was com- like completely off my tits. And your man says he's not, he's not going to serve him anymore. Had you, I, had you any friends that said to you, like, where are you going with them? Who did you hang out really. with then? Like, if you were going I to the nightclub f- in Galway, who were you going there I was, with? Yeah, I had a couple of friends, but they were like, yeah, they, were, they would have been out there as well. Yeah. But looking back now, I, I remember I, I seen them the other day and then I seen a picture of me wearing them. They were way too, they weren't even nice on me. Yeah, I'm slightly jealous. Way too big. I'm slightly jealous at the fact that you were able to do that and you had the confidence to do it. And yeah. I'm also thinking to myself, you are stone crap. <laughs> Before we go any further now, we're going we're gonna to get into the, the Hardy books and you said you got that phone call to wear something outrageous. But I, yeah. I can't help but think that there was a slight regret there about your leaving cert a few minutes ago. And you had a kind of a pained look on your face when you were talking about it. Like, what's, what's the regret there? Well, you see, education is absolutely no way to carry. And I'm just sorry I didn't put more effort into it for myself. What would have changed? Uh, I don't know what. We, so you, I could, could have gone done something different. I tell you what, when the bus did happen, when the bus did happen, I could have gone back and done something in college or whatever, something like that. Now, in saying that, at this stage, I had had I'd had kids, and I mightn't have been able to go back to college, but I definitely could have put in for a better job. In saying that too. I ended up working for five years in Aldi, no more than yourself. Yeah. And that is, you're on about every lad should work in on a construction site, but every lad should spend a year or two in Aldi as well. It is great discipline. Yeah. It teaches you so much. Now, the Aldi of, I've heard that it's very lax now compared to that, them times. But Aldi was a tough, tough <laughs> station, but it was good. I would doubt it's lax, but I'd say they've probably brought in an extra couple of staff maybe yeah, in each, yeah, in each yeah, shop. Yeah. But um, what age were you when you had your first child? I was very young. I was 19, 20. Were you? Yeah, 19 or 20. Uh, probably tw- 20 at that stage. Right. So. Um, and had the, had the bust come at that stage or were you still booming? No, I was still booming. Oh, very much booming at that stage. Booming, 
for a few years into it, I had four houses in my lifetime. Yeah, you owned four houses? Yeah, yeah. At the same time? Uh, two at the same time and one sold to to build another one. In so your on, early 20s? So forth, yeah. Just to keep, keep building another bigger one and then until I had my own house. But Stephen, that's unheard of. Yeah, I know. Two houses. a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. I was very young, had houses, had two cars, had kids. Where very was, young. Where was that pressure coming from? Probably at home. Probably my, my father at that stage. You know, he was, he was building, he had houses here, there, everywhere. It was a prestige thing to him. Like I said, he had came from, he had came from relatively nothing to having all this wealth that he he probably wasn't able to handle it and just through that it filtered down to me out of pure goodness out of wanting me to succeed ticking boxes yeah he has a house now yeah that's done yeah sorted yeah and more and like there was another like other houses and then every house was more security and more security yeah yeah. and it just kept filtering and then i then i had like my that other relationship the my kids at that time uh, failed and, and ended and then it sort of snowballed everything that came with the bust happened then and it was all just titties up so did the houses then become a noose around your neck oh uh, massively so yeah massively so and but I eventually got out of that but I carried I carried the debt of that for a long time this is the next question I'm going to ask you now and it might be a bit too personal but had you mortgages oh yeah yeah, no, oh, of course. Yeah. I had mortgages and... But so how does a 20-year-old get a mortgage? Oh, but you stop. It was so easy to get mortgages back then. I'll tell you a story. This is how easy it was to get a mortgage back then. I opened up a, a separate bank account on my, in my own name. You'd be, uh, you were given 500 euro or pound, pound at the time, I'm sure. Yeah. Would have been pound at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And you put the 500 pound in on a Friday take it out on Monday, put it back in on a Friday, take it back out on Monday, put it in on a Friday for about eight weeks and your man got a mortgage out of that. And that's a fact. A hundred percent mortgage. And you didn't have to prove how much you were getting every you week? didn't have to prove nothing. There was, I, I don't know whether I should be saying this, there was like fake slips just made and it was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. And then, but the, but at the time I was making... And you were paying them back. I was paying them back. And there was and, no problem. And then from that house, from the first house, uh, then I was able to get a second house. Right, so but you I, went in first of all, you bluffed your first mortgage. Bluffed my first mortgage. And the payments were coming in. But I pr- knew, you see, the thing is, I knew I could service them. Yeah, you weren't trying time. to pull a quick one. No, no, no. This was just fast track getting a mortgage. Right. And this was to build a house, to build a bigger house. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Getting on the ladder and getting up getting the ladder. Getting on the ladder, yeah, 100%. And then, of course, and I remember, I remember, I don't know if I've ever told you this story before, but I remember in the banks, the bank in Swinford, I remember being unknown to suddenly being shifted up to the top. And I mean, such in early 20s, shifted up to the top of the queue because of all the money that was going through my accounts or my father's accounts shifted up to the top of the the line just to get serviced really right yeah but when the bust happened this the same person when things started to go titties up weeks later 
I remember being in there and they walked past me as if they'd never met me before. This person that ushered you to the top of the yep. queue started yep. ignoring you. Oh, completely. Even though like at that stage, everything was still being serviced, but just it wasn't as plentiful. Everything was just being managed. Not Was that out of... Why do you think that was? Ah, because everyone, everyone's seen what was going on with all builders. Like no one escaped it. And was he feeling guilty then? No, or? it was actually a female. Yeah. Was she feeling she was guilty? Managing, yeah. Or what do you think that was about? Did uh, she think? No, she, she, she no interest at that shit. That's how you were, I no, felt. you were no good to her anymore. I was no good to her anymore. No good to her anymore. But look, that's the nature of the beast. If you're. If you want to go making friends with bank <laughs> accountants and managers, well then, for that reason. And that, that day sticks out in your mind. Oh, it does, yeah. You can see it. Yeah, yeah, as plain as day. So I learned a lot. I, at that stage then, I made the mistake of getting credit cards, getting loans to service all the loans. Oh, if, no. if anyone is listening to this, do not, do not get credit cards. They're the biggest disaster Ever. The only reason I'd get a credit card is if I didn't need a credit card. You Sometimes you need a credit card to pay for certain stuff. And hire a but car unless, or something. Yeah, yeah. Unless you can 100% pay that back in the month, do not get a credit card. They're, they're just a false. Did you get caught out? Oh, massively. I got caught out with three of them. And the, do you know what? Really, I, I got really caught out. I was daft enough to pay them back <laughs> or to try and pay them back. And all it was was paying interest. All I was doing at the end of it was paying interest. When things went tits up then, were you trying to pay back your houses? Yeah. Or did you... Houses, yeah, car loans, credit union loans, credit cards. You weren't one of these people that ripped them off and no, said... I th- you know, I, and the, in the end, I had to go to Mabs. And they, they, sorted, they sorted a lot of the stuff out for me. Or I would have been completely up shit creek. How were you strong enough to deal with all that mentally? Just, I don't know where I got the strength. I've, I come from a strong, do you know what? Mentally, my strength comes from my mother. As big as my father is physically, uh, like I said, he's, he was diagnosed bipolar, an absolute heart of a pony, an absolute beautiful heart of a man. But mentally, he probably couldn't handle anything. My mother could handle anything that she throws her. Uh, mentally like that, she'd... she'd she yeah. was strong enough, so I probably took it from, from her. Yeah, mammies, just, mammies are another level. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I'd been in so much, so, so many scrapes, so and a lot of them were my own fault. Down the years, that eventually you just get stronger and stronger and stronger. It's, it's flight or fight, you know. So you, I, lo- I chose you, you lost all the houses then. Uh, I wouldn't say lost them, but yeah, I lost them. I, I was just happy to get rid of the mortgages. Just happy to get rid of the mortgages at that stage, and and that's what I did. Um, Do you have a house now? Not my own house now, no. I'd love to get back on the property ladder again, but I'd be very dubious about it. What age are you? What age am I? Mm. I am 40 years of age, although I'd go on like I'm a bit younger, but no, 40 years of age. Yeah, but you have a lot of responsibilities as well, like you said, Mm. you have five kids to worry about, and they're they're number one. They're number one, yeah, 100%, so... um, Let's go back, so, to the day where you rocked up with your leather pants and you were... This is day one filming for the Hardy Bucks. This is the Mitzi Turbo Cup. Did you know, did you know that it was, was going to be the Hardy Bucks? I had no idea what Martin was talking about, but I knew it would be interesting because it was Martin Maloney. And this was a time when we didn't have iPhones. No iPhones, nothing like that. It this was, was Bebo YouTube. Days. Proper cameras. 
Yeah. Proper cameras, proper, proper microphones. Cameras, yeah, yeah. And where did they come from? They came from, well, Martin sourced them because the Hardy book started off as a college project. And I was pretty sure it actually stemmed from Chris Tordoff, who plays the Viper, another absolute genius. How are you getting on? Yeah, yeah. a genius of a, of, a, of, a, of a man, of an editor, of a, like, could foresee things and see things that other people couldn't. Bit like Martin Maloney as well, but two different brains, two different angles. Were they friends? In. They were, they, yeah, they were friends. They were friends. And they came together and created this. And they had entered a competition on RTE called Storyland. I don't even know. I know they ran it for a few years. I don't know if they still run that competition, Storyland. And you produce your own. You produce your own. There were at the time, I think there were eight, nine minute clips. And then you're you're whittled down to the top 20 then you're whittled down to 10 then you're whittled down to 5 then you're whittled down to the winner and the winner got I think it was 10,000 euro or pound at the time and a chance to be on RT an episode or a season on RT for someone who has never seen the Hardy books can you explain it to me what was it the Hardy books was a a mirror to the time in the country around that era or and you know it was just it was it was like a time capsule of them years just after the bust or just and the bust was starting. So a load and of lads in their early twenties, their early hanging 20s, around, nothing to do, nothing no, to do, to go. no work, and just always dreaming, scheming and dreaming, and it really was a time capsule. It was just exactly how country towns in Ireland were at the time, and it really captured the essence of what was going on in the country at the same time. In a way, though... In a very humorous way. In a way, it was almost ahead of its time because The Office now has gone on to be the biggest grossing series of all time. And when you're watching The Office, you're you're kind of watching it and you don't know if it's scripted or or is it scripted or is this natural... And the Hardy books was very like that. You didn't oh, that's, know. That's because it wasn't really scripted. Was it not? Definitely not the the YouTube days. There must have been some sort of there was a structure. Plan. There was a plan and that was as good as it got. So the plan was we get a load of cars down into a car park. Yeah. And we'll take it from and there. Everyth- and everything from, from there on in. Look, as well, there's so many characters that were just throwing out f- sayings like left, right and centre. Give us a, give us a few of them. Yeah, I, you couldn't you couldn't even put me on the spot. Like yeah. um, the big one for me is when um, uh, Owen Colgan's character, what was he called? Buzz. Buzz. He was like really disrespectful to the girlfriend. He was like, "Yeah, have you any biscuits?" And she goes, "Yeah, get, get them. them." You know, but that was that was that would have been Owen at the time, but in a really because he's he's very polite, like, but yeah. he's very very quick because. But, Growing up, we'd be like, oh, my God, you couldn't say that. Like, yeah. you couldn't treat anyone or say that. When he said that, when when he said that, that was completely unscripted. That was that was a perfect example. And that was RTE. That episode, according to, I remember French Touch once saying that saved that whole episode. Like, yeah, have any biscuits? Yeah, yeah, if you got any biscuits. Get, get them. them. Yeah. Biscuits, do you have any biscuits? I have. Yeah, get them. Cheers, my love. Because till this day, every time I go to my brother's house, I'll say to him, 
have you any biscuits? Yeah. And he'll say back, get them. Get them. <laughs> Do you know, how many there years was, ago was, was that? There was so many of them. Like, it, there's more chance of uh, Stephen Hawkins getting uh, trials for Inter Milan. There was, ah, there was <laughs> you know, even when Owen went in and says, uh, bonjour is the stay in the, in the States. You know, it was just so quick. Like some of them were just completely off the off the cuff. And there were scenes then where you were applying for jobs and you were going yeah. and giving the lads cheek yeah. and no chance of getting the job. Yeah. And and wondering then why why didn't you get the job? It yeah. was just it was so so tongue in cheek and so well just done. It and was it, brilliant. It took off then. It took off on YouTube. It, it went took off on YouTube. And I tell you I tell you where it took off initially, the first place it took off was the boy racer scene down in Cork, apparently. That's where that's where it started to become huge, and it just sort of stemmed from there. And to this day, when we're doing live shows, Cork is just always turns up, always turns up first. Then I suppose RTE sort of had its stamp on it when it won the competition, and for me, it took the the love that I had for it away. It became too polished. It's very po- or they tried to polish it. You can't polish a turd. It was, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was just brilliant the way it was, and you could see it. And I and I remember I say this, and I've said this in a lot of podcasts. There was days and days and days that were spent filming that RT never showed, and that really just I, I'd be away telling people, oh, this scene, I can't wait for everyone to see this scene, and I was explaining this scene, and this is a brilliant scene, and then there was nothing. Like myself and Kevin McGarren had done this whole day and night. We were we had two calls, two calls in. The way you got paid for the satellite characters like myself, you got paid per call. So if you were in there for 10 minutes after being called, well, then you got paid the same as if you were there for 10 hours, after, if it was one call. So we were all there. We were allowed to go away, take a break, and then come back. This is how long this was. This This two scenes were taken. And I have to say that Kevin McGarren, who played SIM card in the Hardy Books, was exceptionally funny. Probably the reason it took so long to actually make, because every every take he'd come up with something even better. And like even the cameramen and the sound guys <laughs> could not keep from laughing. And when it was on YouTube, it was bold. Yeah. You know, and it was out there, but, but lads our age could relate to it. And yeah. then even the Mitzi Turbo Cup... Probably wasn't about Mitsubishi's. It was Not probably about ecstasy tablets. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the the Mitzi, the the Mitsubishi sign that's was right. on ecstasy tablets. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there was always that tongue in cheek, and always. it was always a little bit. And bold. that was that, I credit that to Chris Tordoff when all of all of us after filming or, or the boys were out drinking, having a few pints after a, a day's filming or whatever. Chris would be gone off, and he'd be editing, especially for the YouTube stuff. He'd be editing, putting in them little symbols, you know, wavin, wavin. You know, just little things that just made it that. Like two or three seconds of music. Yeah. Did it, did it. Yeah, just at the right time. Between each scene. Yeah. So much work gone into that. Yeah. And he, that was in he, a day when, when... Yeah, exactly. There was no apps or... Yeah. We, we have it really easy now. Yeah. You can do that Compared in a couple of seconds then, yeah. now in an app. 100%. And it went then from YouTube to RTE to even making it on Netflix. Yeah, and Netflix, yeah. Ne- Netflix was a big boost to the Hardy Bucks revival. And we, we, we genuinely, people would thought that they were going to get a season five out of it when Netflix took it over. Unfortunately, it never turned out that way. And uh, we still get asked at the live shows and quite often, uh, you know, is it ever going to come back? And it's hard to see it coming back as it was because A, we've all got five, six years older and how do you write 
rewrite something back like that when we haven't done anything in so long only what i've been doing myself and the live shows so yeah i can't see it ever coming back as the hardy bucks i wonder if eddie and viper and everyone that was involved knew then what they know now about youtube would they have gone with rte because they'd be millionaires if they stuck with youtube yeah do you know what? You're 100% right. The way YouTube turned out. No one knew yeah. that there'd be lads playing video games. That's right. Making millions. As, as the Viper is, he's doing very well and all he's doing is playing games on Twitch and YouTube. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. How did you go then from working on the sites? Obviously, the, there was the, the crash and then the bit of acting and then you ended up in Aldi. I went, be, I went to Aldi because it was the only thing... It was the only gig in town at the time. I had another house at that stage. And like I said, I had kids to support as well. What Aldi did you work in? I worked in the Aldi in Clermaris. And I did work with you. And I know we've we've talked about this in the past. You worked in, in Casabar. But there was a crossover there for a while. So over the last few years, <laughs> I had an impression. Because you were a manager and I and I was a store assistant at the let's, time. Let's go back, so before we <laughs> before we get to that, but there was one day in particular where I was a manager in Castlebar, yeah, and you were sent over from Claremorris to help us out for a day, yeah, and you were on the till, yeah, and I had to cash you off, yeah, and that's all I remember. Yeah, well, you well, you I I was on it for a while, and you see, in Aldi there was this thing about. If you're put on till one, well, then they think you're shy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. It's whoever's the slowest person in the shop. But but because I'm putting it down to because I was the person sent over from a different shop. Because was it your Christmas? Like what happened? What used to happen was, uh, or, or it could be stock takes. If you had a stock take or it was the Christmas party for the store, you'd try and get... So we had staff leaving hand over fist as well. People over, yeah. Well, that's true too. Yeah. And we had a very tight, we we had a brilliantly run, in my opinion, in Clamaris, a brilliantly run with the likes of Eilish, Charlene and all them. They were absolutely fantastic in the shop. There was great morale in our shop. We used to hear bad, bad things about Casabar at the time. Horror stories. Horror stories. And you were the biggest bollocks I was walking shoe leather. <laughs> was I? <laughs> oh, for fuck's but sake. Aldi, Aldi, Aldi would do that. But I and and for years after, for years after, I thought that Alan Clark, yeah, absolute bollocks. Did you think that? I did, but I but I've never been um, so happy to be proved wrong. Yeah. <laughs> From working in the shop one day. Yeah. Well, can I just say in my defence. Not that I, I, I think I've spoken about this before, but mm. Aldi did turn me into an awful bollocks. Yeah, but Aldi will do that. And I was, you know, I had left school and I was on the buildings for a while and then I left that and I was job hopping here, there and everywhere. And I was studying hotel management at the time and I was approached by somebody to go into Aldi. Mm-hmm. And they basically said to me, look, you're down there in Tralee, you're studying hotel management. In about six or seven years, you might be on 40 grand. Mm-hmm. Come up to Castlebar, I'll have you on 40 grand in six months. Mm-hmm. But I had to break my mm-hmm. balls to be on this 40 grand or 42 grand in six months. And I had this this thing between my teeth where I had to be something. Yeah. You know, like I, I was never going to I was never going to be anything. And at the time, I'm just going to say it as it is and how it was for me. And I do like you say, I do believe it has changed. But for me, you were sent down to Cork and you were trained. I was almost trained to be a bollocks. Yeah. Do you know? And you have these targets. And yeah, you, you targets. Mary has 12 minutes to do the bread. Yeah. And if Mary doesn't have the bread done in 12 minutes, well, then you're on bother. Yeah. 
So your manager comes in, asks you, why are you 20 minutes behind? Well, yeah. I'm 20 minutes behind because Mary didn't do the bread in time. Then you go out and give Mary a shoe up the That's hole. Right. Because you got a shoe up the hole. Yeah. And you're just wound up. I, yeah. w- I found that I but was wound up the whole time. It wasn't just management. I mean, everyone, store assistants, stock assistants, yeah. the janitor was made feel, but it was, it was a brilliant thing in one way. It was a brilliant uh, way that Aldi had a, that system that everyone felt, even from the, the janitor up, that if they didn't do what they were meant to do more quicker than they were meant to do it, yeah. well, then the shop was f- like going to fall down. We used to go in, I think it was at six o'clock in the morning and you had to have the whole shop ready yeah. for half eight. Yeah. And the reason you had to have it all ready for half eight is so that everyone could have a break yeah. and you could start your shift at nine and then there was no more breaks for the rest of the morning. Yeah. You know, you had your big break out of the way. Yeah. And then if somebody wasn't finished at half eight, then the shop would open at nine, then somebody would go on the break and then for the rest of the day, somebody was covering that break and you're behind all morning. Yeah. And you're you're wound up because you're trying to get ahead for the next shift coming yeah, in. Yeah, I know. Because the next shift come in then and say, well, oh, well, we're behind because that shift was behind. Yeah. And then the managers are competing against each other. Yeah. And you're 100% right. I left it in the end because I had savage, savage anxiety. Yeah. There was days where... But any, anyone trying to make it, anyone trying to get up the ladder in Aldi would be like that. That's just the way it was. And that's why it's such a successful shop. Yeah. I was wound up. At, there was there was a stage where I had so much anxiety. So the the cashier would hit the bell if they needed the manager. Mm-hmm. It was two bells or something like that. Two bell, yeah. There was a stage where I was in the office. And you'd be in the office, you'd be working away, you might be doing rotas or you might be doing a stock take or doing whatever you were doing. And I remember one day a cashier ringing at two bell and I didn't want to go out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go out. It might be a woman that was returning something, having an argument with them that she bought it there and it was 60 euro when she mm-hmm. bought it. Now she's only getting 30 euro back and. I remember thinking to myself, I didn't want to go out. And that was the start of my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then I remember having to put pressure on people. And, and yeah, at the start, you're doing it because you're trying to make a name for yourself and you're trying to prove yourself. But then I started getting physically sick. Yeah. Where I would go out and give out to somebody and then I'd have to go into the bathroom and physically vomit. Mm-hmm. Where I'd physically get sick. And I was doing that for a few weeks until one evening I was going home and I just got sick on the steering wheel of the car. Yeah. That's a true story. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even feel the sickness coming. Yeah. Where you're wound up so much that you're wondering, did I close the shop the right way yeah. for the next fella the next morning? Did I tick all the boxes? Did I lock the door? Did I do this? Did I do that? But but everyone everyone was feeling that anxiety from the managers down. down. Yeah. That's just the way Aldi was or the, the whole system was. But like I said, it does, it teaches you so many great work tricks for the whole for your whole life yeah but it just it comes it does come at a cost and if you're trying to make it up the ladder in Aldi you do sort of have to be a bollocks the other thing that I found really difficult was I was really really actively trying to bring people up the ladder Mm. there was lads in there they were there 10 years more than me and when I came in and oh you're that little bollocks that you're a manager now after six months and they turn against you straight away Mm mm-hmm and I was really, really, really trying to change their mindset and get them to become managers. And there was one or two lads in there that I was told would never, never make it. There's one lad who's still a manager in there. There's another fellow who's gone off to manage his own uh, retail store for a different brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these were lads that I was told would never make it as a manager that I promoted. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the one thing that stays with me 
you know, yeah, I learned so many things and yes, I was a bollocks on so many different occasions. But I always was pushing them mm -hmm. to move on because all they, were, all they were getting was pressure and being put down the whole time. And if they just changed two or three little things That's or right. changed their mindset a little but bit. If you're, if you're making the same mistakes, it's like Einstein said, if you're, if you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, all, all you might have to do is change that one thing. Yeah. And, and while we're on the subject, you see, for anyone listening, Aldi runs a tight ship or did back then. You, you, you might have had for such a busy store, you might have only had to rely on 13 or 14 people on the whole rota, not just for that shift. Yeah. You might only have three or four people on a shift. So you'd open the store in the morning with four people. Those four people would have to fill all the chiller, yeah. all the dairy products, yeah. all the freezers, all the fruit and veg, all the bread, yeah. and have the shop ready to go for nine o'clock. Yeah. You're talking probably 50 or 60 grand's worth of stock yeah. on the shelf. Every day. Every day. Because it was a massive turnover. Those four people were under savage pressure. Mm -hmm. And you had so many minutes per pallet. Mm -hmm. so you went in the morning, you worked out. It didn't matter how many pallets you had. You had two and a half hours, whether you had four pallets or eight pallets. There could be more. And uh, that's Christmas it. time, there could be 40 yeah. pallets. <laughs> the same time. The same and time. Was, I remember they used to, I don't know, I have a feeling that on some of the lists, there was actually, it would write how, how long this should take. Yeah. Like this pallet should take 12 minutes or whatever. And you know what? Sometimes we had to test people. We had to hide a product. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to go in in the morning before the shop opened, hide something. and see, see if they noticed. To see if they ticked it off, to see if they were doing their job properly. Yeah. Isn't that insane when yeah. you think about it? Because with technology now the way it is, you should be able to scan in 50 things and scan out 50 things. Yeah, yeah. And you would go in and hide something yeah. to and see it was if it all they... down to memory. And then there was PLUs. I mean, you had to, some things didn't have barcodes. There was like a hundred and something. Fruit items. and veg. Fruit and veg. Fruit and veg items didn't but there have was barcodes. Other things, there was other things as well that, but it was great. It was great in one way because if you were, if you were on the ball, it made your brain so sharp. So come here, we didn't, we, we parted ways then and didn't see each other for another 10 or 15 years. About 10, no, no, no. 10 less, years. Less, less, it's less. It's not 10 It's 2000 and... Was it 2014? No. BRB Homes make your dream home a reality. We do it all from start to finish. Your one-stop shop to becoming a homeowner. Log on to brbhomes.ie. It was 2016. Was it? I don't think no, it was. No, 2015. Right. Yeah. If it wasn't, I tell you what, I had the aneurysm in 2016. So, and I was working in Aldi at the time, so it would have been, no, well, maybe two years. Yeah. No, I think it was. I think it was 2014. It was 14. It definitely wasn't 13. Right. It was 14, okay. 15, 16, so 17, 18. We didn't see each other then for the guts of 10 years. Yeah. And all that time you thought Alan Clark's a bollocks. Yeah. Wow. And what yeah. changed your mind then? Or are you just. Well, I met you. Are you just plumossing me now because you're in no. my house? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I met you uh, when we went to the island there in. Well, I had a couple of, of messages back and forth with you as well. And then when I got to meet you, well, then completely changed my mind. Oh, you're Genuinely. Just, you're just saying that now. <laughs> um, we've had, a, we've had a, a lot of dealings with uh, since then. So Isn't it crazy how you cross paths? And little did we know yeah. that when I was cashing you off that day, that you'd be a big time influencer. <laughs> and I'd be a small time influencer. Oh, no, you stop. And you'd be doing live shows. And live here shows, you'd be sitting yeah. in my house doing I a know. podcast. It's crazy. 
Like I had no notion that you were into that kind of stuff. Yeah. You had no notion that I was into this kind of stuff. Yeah. And we didn't cross paths then for no, how long? No. It's mad how the world works. It is a funny old world. Swings and roundabouts, I'm telling you. You spoke there about having an aneurysm. I had an aneurysm in 2016. It was Easter week. Is that the first? No, before that, I had a heart attack when I was 27, 28. My heart just like had a slow meltdown. I had a super hypertension. I was living, I was living the fast life. I was trying to work hard, trying to live hard. And eventually it just caught up me. Plus the bus just after it happened, there was a lot of stress. I was trying to pay back all them credit cards that I was telling you about and all them loans. And I was probably eating very unhealthily, probably drinking and partying way too much and trying to keep everything going. And eventually my heart just completely just gave in. But talk to me about that time. Did it just come out of nowhere? Did you just feel unwell one day? Or no, it, it it was a very gradual process. I, I tell you, the funny thing is, do you remember? Do you remember when the we had a couple of months of a cold snap? Yeah, a really cold snap. This would have been twenty ten. Twenty ten. I'm terrible with dates, but I remember that because I took the lease on a nightclub. Yeah, I borrowed a load of money. I was in the nightclub for two weeks, and every pipe in the hotel and nightclub yeah. burst. Yeah, flooded the whole place. Yeah, and I was out of a gig. It, everything was like minus 12. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, that was exactly what happened to me with the, the, the pipe. Uh, I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you this story. This yeah, I got my hole handed to me that year. <laughs> and I'll never, that was ever, tough. I thought that I was, was going to have a heart attack. That was like getting, uh, buying a pub and then COVID hitting. Yeah. But anyway, um, like I said, I've been uh, living probably a very unhealthy life. I remember going out, I think it was St. Stephen's night. Was 2010, you're right. And, do you know what? You're right because it was our 10 year. I done my leaving cert in 2000 and it was a 10 year anniversary of the year. So you had to walk into town that night then, obviously. I had to walk into town. I might have got a lift in, but I walked out. But there, was, there wasn't there was any cars. It was it was bad. Like, yeah, it was yeah. very bad. Yeah. And I shouldn't, like, no one should have gone out that night. But we went out anyway and I probably had way too much to drink. And came back and I woke up in the morning to... What I thought was just, I don't know what I thought it was, but it turned out uh, the radiator had pinged, like burst, and out of the hole was a spray of water, and it was landing on my head. It was just like a fountain pissing out onto me. Where were you? At that stage, I was... Like, we were on the floor? No, I was in bed. Like it was, it, oh, it was pissing it was, up onto the bed? It was spraying up onto the bed. So it, was, it had pinged from the top the top of the radiator and it was pissing out just like a fountain because obviously it's a pressured system so it's going to keep filling and it kept and I put it down to then that that I was sick and obviously I got some sort of a cold out of it but I never recovered from it like it was six weeks later and I was still bad and I went into the doctor I went into the doctor and he said it was just a bad flu and that was grand then about six weeks later I was still no better work I, I was finding it hard to breathe i couldn't sleep i was coughing up white phlegm and about six weeks after that then oh we're into march at this stage if not april i went in i was still feeling terrible i remember i remember going into to moore's pub and i wasn't drinking i had only like a 
I remember a, like a Fanta or something. <clears throat> and this fella came up to me and said, an older man came up to me and said, Stephen, you're sick. He said, there's something not right with you. He said, go to the doctor. He said, please. He said, you've lost way too much weight. Oh, you're as white as a sheet and I'd be fairly sh- sallow skinned. He said, you're as, and you'd look, he said, like death warmed up. And the next day I went in and as it happened, now my doctor was a great doctor. Uh, he was old school doctor. You listened to that man? I listened to that man, yeah. Whatever way he said it, he, he kind of frightened me. It landed with you? It landed with me. And I went into the to my doctor, but my doctor had actually took sick himself since the time earlier. And there was a locum doctor, Dr. Morrison from Lewisburg. So she was filling in for three days a week and she gave me a right thorough checkout. And then when she checked my blood pressure, her eyes popped out of, popped out of her head. And she said, you're not leaving here until an ambulance comes. She said, your heart is just, you're about to have a stroke. And it was that bad. She thought she couldn't understand how I hadn't had a stroke. And she said, it's through the roof. So your heart is like slowly shutting down. So she called an ambulance. So she ca- I said, I said, hold on before we get an ambulance. Uh, at the time I was going out with a nurse. I said, if I can get my partner at the time to come and bring me over. I said, well, that will you be happy with that? She said, yeah. But she said she has to come into this surgery to bring you down. Like I was taking it, I was feeling bad because it was a full, there was a full room of people waiting. She would not let me out of the surgery. She wouldn't let anyone in until uh, I got the lift. Fair play to her. Yeah, fair play to her. She was unbelievable. I still credit her this day with the start of one of the people that saved, saved my life. And went over, my blood pressure was 240 over 160. So for anyone that doesn't know what blood pressure readings should be, it should be 120 over 80. So it was double top double bottom and I remember telling my girlfriend at the time and showing her the, the the reading and she nearly crashed the car she said you should be dead that's that's mental so got over went into the hospital I was in the acute assessment area this wasn't even A&E this was like the the station above A&E and I remember being behind the curtains and finally I was actually getting some rest and finally it wasn't just all in my head. I knew that there was definitely something wrong. How bad it was, I didn't realise and I didn't realise that until I was in ICU <laughs> in a isolated room with people coming in covered up in hazmat suits because they actually thought I would TB at that stage, which would which was it's very, very rare and hadn't been seen in Ireland in a while. In a, in a very long time. So at this stage, you, you've gone from the surgery, you're in the hospital, and you're just yeah. a medical mystery. Yeah, and I remember I remember uh, this doctor pulling the curtains, look, still looking down into his notes, reading the notes, then he looked up at me, and again, he, he was like, he said, oh no, he said, this is wrong. Stephen Kelly? And I said, yeah. He said, what age are you? I, I think I was 28, 27 or 28, I think it was 20, could have been 28. He said, you have the heart of a, like a man in his 70s. The reading, you know, the reading's, so he, he was He said he, that out loud. Yeah, yeah. He was like he said, Your heart is is not functioning. Did that scare you? It so oh, it sort of did, yeah. But I wasn't sc- fully scared until they'd done the T B test anyway, and the at that stage I was put in an isolated ward a room in ICU. And I was brought up and my, I remember looking through the, the the wall 
and there was a glass wall and them explaining to my mother what it, what was going on and next thing she just started bursting out in tears like I was they were worried that I was I was going to die but I didn't realise that you were in the bed in the IC, I was in ICU the bed, ward I was in the bed in the IC, ICU ward I was in that bed for nine full days before they let me back out onto the day ward but because but you, but you could see your mum through the glass yeah I could see my mum through the glass and her just breaking down in tears and then that's when I realised that something's not right here until then I was just drifting along and just but you didn't feel like you were dying I didn't feel like I was dying no I definitely didn't and I was probably had a headache but I always suffer from headaches always until I actually a few months after that I had an operation it was renal deprivation it's where they severed severed my nerves from my kidneys to my heart and after that I never had a headache like unless it was like it was there was a reason for it like these were headaches there were no reason for <laughs> and and I remember back then and then I how went did you, how did you get out of that then you were in ICU for nine days nine days as then a mystery in, yeah and then I was in the day ward then they realised that it was super hyper, hypertension like super hypertension my blood pressure was through the roof and that was probably the reason for all the headaches that I'd had since I was in national school since I was in national school I remember the day I got my first really bad headache and like I said I was good in national school and I test I love tests but I remember we were just about to do a maths test and I put my head, my head just hit the, hit the table. And then I remember the teacher thinking, saying something like, oh, you just don't want to do the test. And then she, then she realized very quickly that, no, no, I'm like, there's something not right here. And I'd had them headaches and nosebleeds up till that time. And after they finally figured out 15 years later that I had hyper hypertension, they said that I would have had it since I was so young and I, I had it so long and so bad that it eventually blew a hole in my kidney so uh, but they discovered that at the same time and did part of you I know this is such a, a layman flipping thing to say but did part of you just need a rest oh 100% them nine days that I in ICU were like because I said like I said I was trying to pay back so many loans trying to keep so many things going maybe even I've, I don't think I've ever suffered from depression, but I would I was on the on the edge of it because because I wasn't getting a rest and savage anxiety. Just yeah. And just worry. And you didn't even sure you're not even acknowledging it then because you don't know how to acknowledge no, you it. You don't. It's, it's, I, I didn't want to face anything. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. And I remember thinking them nine days, I wasn't getting any letters. I wasn't getting any phone calls. You had an excuse not to be. I had an excuse and, and, you know, eventually. But it's isn't it an awful thing, Alan, that people won't give you a break until you're in ICU hospital or, or something similar? They just don't understand the pressure people are under. Mm. And until you have to get that bad for people to say, oh, hold on. You know, and, and the, these were like, when I say people, the likes of credit unions or, you know, then you have an excuse then you have a re, you know, once you say, well, he's in hospital now due to stress or whatever, well, then they ease, they ease off or they start coming up with plans. Yeah. But it's an awful thing when it has to get that far. And I'm not saying everyone should take out credit uh, credit cards and credit union loans and then a couple of years later decide, oh, I'm not going to pay them back. Everyone should obviously always pay your debts. But there's times when things and circumstances change. But you're young, you're naive, oh, you're caught 100%. up in the boom. Yeah. None of us even knew what the boom was. 
It was just like keep making loads of As money. As Tommy Insurance says, um, saving up f- uh, for the good times, you know, you know, yeah, and our salt money away for the good times. We didn't even know there were good times, yeah, and we thought they'd last forever. And them, like I said, them nine days was like a holiday, like an absolute dream. I did not want to leave ICU. I it was just a holiday. I had, I had a, the internet. I had, even though it was slow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, people waiting on you people waiting on me food whenever I wanted people come visiting me no phone no phone yeah just television yeah the phone but only for internet if that makes sense or laptop Mm. Uh, actually I probably didn't even have a no I didn't definitely didn't I wouldn't have had a smartphone at the time it was the laptop so connected to the Wi-Fi or um, one of them dongles actually yeah, I remember them. Yeah. Actually, there was no Wi-Fi in the hospital at the time. or definitely not. Nice so did anything there. change in your life then? You, you went out to the day ward and then you got out eventually. I did. And I how really did, changed. How did they get around. a handle on things? Was it medication? Oh, medication. And the operation, the renal deprivation. And are you on medication now? Still still on three tablets for my blood pressure. Three doesn't sound like a lot. Yeah, it's enough. It's I know, but we're on, we on after, more. Which I'm just after remembering that I didn't take today. <laughs> oh, no. I was thinking you're looking a bit pale. I didn't want to say that we're nearly at the end. <laughs> were you on more at the start? Yeah, I was on seven and then I was down to five very quickly. And then I was on five down to three and I'm still on three. The thing is, I became, I, I got so much into fitness. If I went back and said, you know what, do I need to be on these three tablets? I probably don't. No, I'm not taking away from the fact that you're on three tablets. Three yeah. is a lot for somebody um, to be on. But I had that picture in my head coming out of the hospital with 10 different types of tablets. Because no, it was seven in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you went from seven to three. Yeah. Well, that was lifestyle change. I got, I got into running. I got into major time running. What changed in your life then when you got out? That was it. Uh, my whole mindset I had, that was before Aldi. And then I got working in Aldi and that sort of gave me a lot of discipline. And can we talk about the positives of Aldi for a minute as well? Oh, 100 percent. There was I, major, positives major positives. Well. There yeah. was very good money. Great, great money. Great, great structure. Yeah. You have you have two days off together in the week because you had to have um, a 35 hour rest period. Yeah. Um, you got every well with, we did in our store we tried to give everyone every third or fourth weekend off to yeah. be fair You're, you did an and e- you got like 28 paid days off you did an early shift you were working from 7 to 2 yeah. or 2 to 10 yeah and the discipline it gave you it, it's serious discipline massive. you were you were you were shown how to be a great timekeeper you had no choice but for the 8 hours you were in there you were worked to yeah, the bone yeah. in you'd, my time. You'd know in my time. You'd no reason to go to a gym after it, and no. that's a fact. You worked hard, and but you were on the flip side of it. You were very paid very well for they yeah. paid mo- better than most shops. In fact, more all shops. Oh, they did, yeah, they did. And they, you got bonuses in on, at February as well. You you were working for a reason. You weren't work. It wasn't slavery. And you if got to put sense. the odd little special buy aside. So you could, <laughs> if we got seven tellies in on a Sunday morning, we yeah, got to put one that aside. That is true, yeah. <laughs> so we or, or even if, if there was... You had to pay for it, of course. Yeah, of course. But, no, <laughs> of but course. I, mean, I mean, it wasn't on the shelf. We could buy it on the QT at the side. Yeah. So did you get the aneurysm then in Aldi? I got the aneurysm then in Aldi. I was three years in Aldi at that stage. The fittest I'd ever been. I was living in Clearmars at the time. I was living in Clearmaris at the time, still working in Aldi. Probably has started partying a bit harder than usual, but definitely I was the fittest 
I ever was that Good Friday. No, good fr- Easter Saturday. I can understand how the partying would come with the bit of structure and money you had from yeah, Aldi. Yeah. There was a bit of security. I had a good life. I was, yeah. Nice I money. I had a good life at the time. I had good friends. Nice hours. Good structure, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I have to say, I had eventually, I was the, I was the, the store pet as well. I had, I had, and. In what sense? Ah, uh, I. With I, staff or customers? Well, both. Both uh, the man, the manager, um, the managers in Aldi, I got on fair well with, and we, I had never worked in Claremorris. I had them wrapped around my finger. But we I heard really good did. stories about Claremorris. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. A good store to work brilliant. in. Oh, it was a brilliant show. It was great. There was a great togetherness. There was great people in it. We got on awful well. The only problem was, we we went, we we continued it outside the store as well. We with the best of crack outside the store. We had great nights out and it was great crack and we all became such unbelievable comrades. Well, we had none of that. Yeah, we did. Bar. We did. Yeah, it was an incredible place. And I know I was giving out about it earlier on for the pressure of it. But like to make a diamond, you have to, you know, is a piece of coal and, and what it takes is pressure. And that's exactly the way it was. So it had it had some great points as well. What is an aneurysm? <laughs> Do you know something? You can actually get an aneurysm Anywhere in your body, but it's generally as associated with your brain and a bleed of just a burst vessel on your brain. And some people can have a, can live their lives having a couple of aneurysms a year, but obviously my one was in the brain and it was it was more severe. And had this any relation to your previous illness? It may have done. And before that, before that, when I was twenty. I fractured my skull on the way to <laughs> to Manchester <laughs> as well. And but Messon. Messon, pure Messon. Uh, very this, quickly th- tell us what happened. A, there. This is a complete side story. Yeah. So myself and my uncle, who I said was only a couple of years older than me earlier, we were great buddies and best friends and uncles and whatever, uncle and nephew and we knew a fella, Michael Hirsch was his name, an absolute great character. In in the end, I, I ended up, I went out with his daughter for a few years as well. We Oh, I love the man. Still do. And we went over to Manchester. But what had happened was we were going over in the boat and we the, the, boat, the weather was so bad. I'm trying to do this story justice. The weather was so bad that we were told that the, the boat wouldn't go leave until the evening time. So we went into town and we started drinking. And we were drinking all sorts. We were drinking. In the end, I think I was drinking vodka and Smithix mixed together. And myself and my uncle had this thing since we were kids. We always had this real big, like, brotherly rivalry. And we always wanted to be on, in the front seat. And I got to the front seat before him. And I had my hands in my pockets and I opened the door. But before I could get in, Martin came running down the road and he went, he went to push me. Completely taking the mick. But like I said, I had my hands in my pockets. Next thing I just went straight to the side, like as if a domino had just keeled over and I cracked my head on the curb. They could hear a crack, oh. but I'd fallen so many times that I would have done the same thing. I was just put in the back and that was grand. So we were going over on the boat and I woke up at some stage and I went walking around the boat. This is the only thing I remember. I remember walking out onto the like a railing. And I was getting sick. I was I was concussed, but I didn't know I was con- like I was at that stage. I was bleeding in the brain, and I started to get sick. So I was throwing up over the boat, and it was a really choppy sea. 
And I remember I started climbing the railing and next thing the boat just took a little bit of a shunt and I knew that it was either fall over or fall back and I pushed myself off the rail and, and landed back. But I could have easily have fallen over. And that's the only thing that re- I remember with a ne- negative feeling. And for years after, sometimes I, I jerk myself, jerk myself in bed. <laughs> that sounded wrong, but I wake myself up. I'm, I'm there on the boat again and getting sick over. And next thing I go to fall and, that, and I wake up for years and years after. Not so much recently, but for definitely for years after. That's what I remember. And did you go to hospital then? So I was brought to a hospital in Manchester and it was mad busy. And after about four hours, five hours, I just walked out again. And but as soon as I got to Castle Bar, I was brought straight over and they realized that I at that stage, the blood had dried on my brain. Oh, my God, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to bring me to Beaumont then. But I was a f- stubborn and I felt better and I discharged myself <laughs> and I recovered at home. How are you still here? I have all? no idea. Aren't we awful effing idiots? Oh, 100%. percent pure drink, like pure drink. drink is a curse. Drink is a curse. It's great crack, and it's great crack until, like I've said this to you before, especially even after the live shows, it's mighty crack. If you could just get someone to come in at half twelve or one o'clock or whenever, whatever time, have a look at Jeb. You're at the height. Now of, of of the crack giddiness giddiness, now is the time to go home. Yeah, and it's so true. My mother used to say, "Leave when leave when the crack is at its height, because it's not going to get any better. Leave them wanting more. Yeah. Leave yourself wanting more that you want to go out the next night again, instead of having that extra two or three hours of complete and utter madness oh, and it's locked into a bar yeah. at five o'clock in the morning singing the old triangle. Yeah." Drinking a pint of flipping yeah. cider that you but don't it, want. It could even <laughs> it could even be worse than that. I At know. that stage, you're just not giving in. You're not giving in to yourself. You're oh. not giving in to your friends. Your your what you think is. Your but you have FOMO. Then you're you yeah. fear of missing yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the but crack it, is so good. But the time to end the night is when everyone is a hundred percent. And everything is good, and then just go home, and then you have that the memories. But no one in the history of mankind has ever done that. Yeah. But like I said, if you could just get someone. Yeah. To Put your hand in, pull you out, that's it, your job done, great night. The day of the aneurysm then, were you working that day or what happened? I had worked that day. What age are you at for the aneurysm, first of all? That is 2016. It was Easter weekend, it was the commemoration for the Easter 16 rising. That's why it is so vivid in my head. I remember it so well. It was Easter weekend. And the day before, I was just after running my first timed 10k. So I was fittest I'd ever been in my entire life. And yeah, just what happened was I was in a house and the, the girl that I was going out with at the time was at a family w- funeral. And I was meant to go out that night, but I was so tired. I remember feeling so unnaturally tired. So instead I brought two of my mates over and we're watching a movie, but we I'd had a couple of drinks and just got so unnaturally tired. And I said, you know what, I'm heading to bed. I eventually had woke up at some stage walking down the stairs and apparently I got to the second or third last step and my eyes, my, my hands just fell forward, my eyes closed and I just fell forward and I'd been having a headache and that was it, the aneurysm. And as it happened, lucky enough, there was an ambulance coming from, I was in Claremars, 
there was an ambulance coming from Tume to Castlebar, an empty ambulance. Who called the ambulance? One of the lads that were there. They were still uh, there? They were still there. And lucky enough, they were just after doing some course and they quickly realised that there was something definitely wrong. Rang the ambulance. The ambulance just happened to be passing by. As it happened, it was a cousin of mine, but apparently if you're in the uh, emergency services and you come across a... Family a, member. A family member, you cannot let on. You cannot, you cannot let on. That it's your family, a family member, but I could be corrected on that. But that, that's what I've been told. Were you out bit. cold? Oh, I cold. I didn't wake up until like when when they brought me over to Castle Bar, they'd given up. Like I was gone. My family were rang, told to come over. The priest was rang, giving me my last rites. The whole works. They had given up on me at that stage. They had sent a scan off to Beaumont Hospital, and I was dying. Like I, they they had left me. Le- not left me to die, but they thought that there was nothing that could be done. And Beaumont said, get him up here as quick as possible. We'll see if we can we can save him. And they did. They saved me. There was a surgeon operated on me. Uh, his name was Daniel Rawlock. He was Scottish surgeon, an absolute gentleman. Got to meet him a few times after. A uh, genius of a surgeon. And but a really nice guy as well. Apart from being a surgeon, he was a really nice guy. And he saved me. I woke up then. That was Saturday night. I woke up Monday at some stage, Monday evening. But they did. They told my family that I mightn't wake up for weeks. And I, w- I woke up way too soon. They actually induced me back into a coma again because they said I shouldn't have woke up that that much. But when I woke up. I had so many tubes in my down my throat I couldn't actually speak and I was so thirsty I mean I can remember being so thirsty crazy thirsty and all I wanted was Lucasaid I was a big fan of Lucasaid and all they could give me was dry ice just to wet your lips yeah yeah and then I was trying to communicate with everyone that was in the room and I know that my, my sisters and my family were there the thing was that Sunday morning I remember I had to collect my oldest daughter because she was serving mass and I don't think it was too long after they were allowing girls to serve mass so this was a big thing when you say Sunday morning this was supposed to be the next day this after was supposed the to be the next day after the aneurysm and I was like I was so like I said I was trying to keep everyone happy trying to keep the, the social life going trying to keep the work life going trying to keep the family life going with my kids who were you know living with me as such and I knew that I had to collect Saoirse that morning and all I wanted to know was who brought Saoirse to Mass. That's what I wrote. That was the first thing I wrote. How did you write it? They gave me a, a biro and, and, and a notepad. Wow. And, and I, just wrote, I just wrote it out. They figured out what I was trying to write. I was still like, when I woke up, I'm in Clamaris. What the f-, f are you doing in my room? And I was so thirsty, I kept writing Lucasaid, Lucasaid. And then I remembered that I had a bottle of this. It's like fancy lemonade that Aldi used to do in glass bottles. It was a lovely drink, especially when it was cold. And I remember that was under the car seat and I was trying to get them to go down for it because I was that thirsty. All I could think about was getting some sort of fizzy drink inside me. And then I recovered after nine, after eight days. I was eight days in the Richmond unit in, in Beaumont. It's funny because my mum loves that lemonade. Yeah. And when I was working in Aldi, I'd bring it home every now and again. And, and <laughs> it'd be like bringing home a million dollars to it. Yeah, her. it's a beautiful drink. And so this illness had nothing to do with your previous illness. No. It's just completely random. Just completely random, yeah. No reason why, just unlucky. Just unlucky. And that definitely, whatever about the, the heart failure, that changed my life. 
And how long were you sick? Did, like, how long was it before you went back to work? I was given a 15th month, 15 month sick cert. 15 months? Yeah, but I was back in three. So what kind of recovery did you have to go through? What was wrong with you for the three months? Well, there were a, there was a plate in my little skull here, a little plate in my skull here. There were obviously a plate if that got it damaged or tapped or hit. Right. But I remember, I remember I wouldn't leave it alone. I remember actually pushing it in. Oh, Stephen, <laughs> you're making me weak now. <laughs> but I, I got through it and I wouldn't mind. But like I said, I was big into running and I had staples. I had like staples stapling my skull and my skin back. And I turned up for a 5K run about six weeks after this in like it was a Swinford. This would have been the end of the spring season of 5Ks. You know, they, they do like a spring series and they do a harvest series or an autumn series. And this would have been the end of the spring series. So that's how quickly I was back. Now, I didn't run fast, but I got through the 5K. But I, I was I was a man on a mission. I wanted to get back to the life that I had been building before this had happened. And I didn't want this to stop. And it was either three months or four months I was back in Aldi again. So, like I said, I was always busy. Always wanted to keep myself busy. I have a lot of responsibilities. And Had you a hard time getting signed off to go back to work? Mm, not really. No. Yeah. But then again, like I, I, had, my, I had a good relationship with my doctor. And, uh, oh, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's and good. if I said, if he's, if I said to him, I'm grand, he would have said, oh, yeah, go on. I would have been ripping up the floorboards at home anyway, so. Uh, he knew to, 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 to sort of let me back. And in fairness, Aldi were brilliant. They didn't throw me in the deep end, that's for sure, when I did go back. How are you still here? I don't know. Out of the out of the grace of God and the prayers of my grandmother, I'd say. And I wouldn't be the most religious of men either, but I definitely felt something then, back when? then, when I, was, when I was recovering from the aneurysm or at the time, after the, like the hours after the aneurysm, I could definitely feel the goodwill of all my f- loved ones, every one of them. I could feel the goodwill. I could feel that healing me. That's that's a fact. That's and interesting. I, and as I said, I'm not a religious person. No, no, I know what you mean. I had meningitis. I told you the story before. I, I had meningitis and I went into my really, really bad headaches. I'll tell you really quickly. Bad headaches. And I went to a, I went to a stations on a Friday night mm-hmm. up the road here and... It's the last stations I was ever at. I don't know if there's ever been a station since, <laughs> but I had one bottle of beer to be sociable. Yeah. And I didn't want it. And I just remember I was just home from, I was working in Longford so at the time. What age, what age were you then? I was probably about 25. Okay. And I had one bottle of beer and I remember getting an awful headache. And I thought to myself, geez, I'm tired now and I'm an awful lightweight. Mm. And this has gone straight to my head. The next morning, Saturday, I had a pounding headache, like somebody was grabbing the back of my head violently, mm. like my head was in a vice. And I went to the doctor and I'd never go to the doctor. I could have a bit of a headache for six months before I'd go to the doctor. But this Saturday morning, I went to the doctor and he wasn't working. I think I went to his house or I don't know how he saw me anyway, but he saw me on the Saturday. I think my brother rang him and pulled a few strings and he told me I had a throat infection. Mm. So he gave me something for the throat infection. The Sunday night then, I got 10 times worse and I rang my brother to bring me into hospital right he raced me into hospital i thought if i wasn't going to die with a headache i was going to be killed on the car in the car because he was going at a million miles an hour i'll never forget it but he was obviously very very worried about me and he had obviously recognized there was something very severely wrong with me and i went into a&e then and i remember the last thing all i remember was saying to him don't tell mom and dad i'm here and i remember before that the lady came in and she said on a scale of one to ten how's the pain and i said a hundred 
And she said, all right. And then I turned to Stephen, he was sitting beside me here in the little cubicle. And I said, whatever you do, don't tell mum and dad I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I remember him saying to me, will you stop? I have to tell them you're here. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing. And then I remember waking up on the resuscitation table where I had a stroke, or not a stroke, I had a seizure. That's what they call it. Wow. And I had woken up in the resuscitation room and I remember being fully naked, jumping up on the table, trying to get off the table. I had no idea what was going on. Right. And there was a nurse, a beautiful red-haired nurse, and I'll never forget her. What was his name? (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget her. I'll never get her out of my head. She was there at the side of the bed, stroking my hand. That's all she was doing. I'm glad you said hand. Stroking my hand, telling me, you'll be okay, Alan. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And that's all she kept saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're okay. And I remember she didn't leave. She didn't let go of my hand. And all she did was stroke the back of my hand, telling me, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And I felt so safe. Yeah. From that. And then I went up to uh, ICU and I was up there. I wasn't up there long. And then I was in a in a in an isolation room for for 10 days. Wow. And that was my that was my encounter with. Um, you did not tell me this before. Did I not? No. OK, I thought I, I thought I had. I don't know where I was going with that story or why I, why I decided to tell you that. There was some reason I decided to tell you that. Oh, sorry. This was it. You said you had the, the realization. Yeah. A friend of mine was living in Portugal at the time. And you know when this kind of thing happens, somebody's going into hospital and arms and legs are put on stories and then suddenly you're in ICU and when somebody hears you're in ICU, yeah, of that's course. it. It's touch and go. You're at death's door. There's yeah, mass yeah. cards. There's novenas. There's the, everyone's being called. A friend of mine lived in Portugal and he got into the car. He lived down in the Algarve and he got into the car and drove to Fatima. Yeah. Just drove straight up the road, kept going until he got to Fatima, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, wow. lighting candles for me. And uh, like that, I didn't know if somebody was, the, I, I, I didn't know this till afterwards. And then two or three years later, I went out to Portugal uh, to visit him. And he said, do you remember the time you were sick? And I said, yeah. Um, he said, I got into the car and I drove up to Fatima and I prayed for you. But he said, the thing about it is, when your prayers are answered, you have to go back and say thanks. So get in the car. <laughs> wow. And I thought I was going you're, to. Portugal. You're actually, is, you're actually giving me goosebumps. Yeah, I thought I was going out to Portugal to have the crack for seven days or whatever it was at the time. We had to get into the car. Then I think it was a little Ford Fiesta or something with little to no aircon. Drive four or five hours up the road to Fatima, mm-hmm. but I had no problem obviously doing it. But mm-hmm. he, and it's not that I have that much faith either. Yeah, you know, he had just said, "When your prayers are answered, you have to say thanks." So we drove up to Fatima. We had the worst dinner we've ever had in this little cafe. <laughs> we went into this place that's very like Knock Shrine. Yeah. Lots of people walking around. Lots of people. Very sad people. Very lonely people. Very lost people. Yeah. Lost people. Uh, lighting candles. Doing different novenas and different stations. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed and said, thanks very much. And brought yeah. a few candles there's home. Definitely, there's definitely something there, Alan. I don't know what it is. I, like I said, I'm not the most religious of men, but... I do have faith that there's something, there's something there. Yeah. And I definitely have felt it over, over the years. And obviously everyone wants to believe that there's something there. I don't know what it is yet. And we might never know. Mm. But I'd like to think that there's definitely so, something there. Uh, I remember getting a bill for 10 grand a week or two after I came out of the hospital. What? Yeah, got a bill through the post, 10 grand, a thousand euros a day for the time I was in there. Because I was in an isolated room. Okay. And they put it down as a private room. Okay. But it wasn't a private room. No. It was an isolated room. So I had to go to my solicitor 
and say, I have a bill here for 10 grand and I can't pay it because I don't have 10 grand. Yeah. And he uh, disputed it or whatever. And I got it down to 100 euros per day for a public room. And I got it down to a grand. Okay, okay. Oh, but then I had to pay my x-rays and there was x-rays and scans and everything wow. on top of that. But for the room only, I think it was working out a thousand euros a day. Um, and they said I had signed something to say that I wanted a private room when I was in there. Sure, I couldn't. Sure, even, of course. Couldn't of even course. sign my own name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. Th- yeah, I didn't think that had happened. Now I see. I don't see that. I've never seen that side of things. Because I, I remember when I had the heart, I had a medical card. So that I uh, just after getting it, just after getting it, so that covered everything. Okay. Yeah. So um, we've we've spoken a lot about um, health issues, yeah. and I didn't I didn't plan on speaking that long about them. But God Almighty, <laughs> you're like a, a cat with nine lives. And but the best w- of luck to you. I hope, what, you, I hope you have another six. <laughs> what I wanted to do was say thanks to. Beaumont and for everyone that had saved me by I remember leaving Beaumont after the aneurysm and saying that someday I'll run from Dublin to I actually said it Dublin to Mayo I'll do something for charity for Beaumont Hospital and that's exactly what I did that's when I set up the three bucks left page and that's pure uh, Forrest Gump stuff yeah yeah myself and French Dutch when I said it to French Dutch he said when are we doing it like you know like there was no question he was doing it as well how long did that take that took three days, and that was that was still out of three bucks left. That was still one of our my proudest achievements of it because we did not know what we were doing. I had never ran distances like that in my entire life. It was f- to pay back s- s- people that had saved my life, and it was a personal thing. And even though we've ran further since, and at that stage you didn't have the profile you have now. Oh Christ, no, not even. You were just not one of those kind of idiots from the Not even books. a twentieth of the no, profile. No, yeah. you weren't really well known. You were just yeah. one of the satellite characters. Yeah, on the satellite characters, yeah. And then the rest is history. And how much did you raise? We raised sixteen and a half thousand that time. Wow! And at what stage of that event did you feel it was the proudest moment of your life? When I finally made it down to home and leading into Swinford. Talk me through that. Talk me. We, I, I want to. We were. I want to visualize you coming across the finish line. Day. The first day we ran ninety three k, and that was my fault. I should have only been eighty two k, but I was too stubborn. I I promised that I wouldn't get into a car at any stage. But I didn't realize that coming into Mullingar that you have to 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 the shortcut. You have to actually cross over the motorway, and you can't you can't technically cross over a motorway on foot. So I instead of me crossing over the motorway, I ran eleven k extra. Which I should, looking back out now, of pure stubbornness, out of pure stubbornness. Looking back now, I should have just gotten the care, because at this stage it was dark. I was keeping everyone up, right. but eventually, when we got into into Swinford, the whole town villages had all gathered. Talk me through it, that last that last mile. Then the the last two miles, they were even out of the bridge, the Char- the, the bridge from Charlestown to, to into Swinford. There was people out welcoming us in, flags, Mayo flags. I'm a big Mayo supporter. Even Joe Mellet, who was a councillor at the time, he was out on the bypass with his chains on. And I knew if we had brought Joe Mellet out to, to, to greet his home, we had done something right. Why? What was so special about Joe Mellet uh, Joe, Joe would have been like a dignitary in the, in the town. And um, like usually we would be just getting thrown out of his pub. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I remember French Joe saying the last time I seen him, he was throwing me out of his pub years earlier. So you had the seal approval from Joe yeah, Mellett. Yeah, and that was like, we laughed and were proud as well at the same time. And then it just kept getting better. The crowds were getting big. It was like St. Patrick's. The crowd that it turned out was like St. Patrick's Day Parade. For it people really that don't was. know Swinford, you're coming in the main bypass. Yeah. It's the main road. Main road, there's, yeah. There's two lanes and then the two hard shoulders. Yeah. It's a big, busy, dangerous yeah. road. Yeah, we had the whole thing. We had, the people had joined us. Swinford Athletics Club had joined us for the last bit of the run in anyone that was involved in running anyone that was involved in anything anyone that could run how many people oh there's a video of it and i, I and f- who was running in probably about 40 that were running with us but there was hundreds of people lying in the streets so you turn off the bypass then down that narrow road to go into swinford village itself yeah swinford town yeah and then you're going in through the town yeah, the whole people lying in the streets People lined the streets and massive crowds. We finished off in the in the square in Swinford, and it was, it was definitely one of my proudest moments of that nature. Obviously, I had kids, and that, that was a great day. They were great days as well. But um, that was out of three bucks left. Still, the standout. Let's talk about the live shows now for five minutes here at the end. Yeah, perfect. so. Uh, there's so many things I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to yeah, try we'll and find look, out Look, we'll leave it for the next time How you went from, from Aldi into to selling out live shows all over the country <laughs> but we don't have an awful lot of time um, Tell us about a three books show then It took a couple of years to create it to what it is like now and then COVID hit but we still kept practicing and still kept coming up with then of course I created all this character that I have on three books um, this you know this mad ranting sort of character and it's worked on social media and it's worked on stage as well and I'm so proud of this live show and I would encourage anyone up for a bit of crack to get to one of the shows they are mental crack they're an energetic stand-up it's very crowd interactive you've been to one yourself it is just a mad mad buzz it's a laugh it's a laugh a minute if I do say so myself, and it's full of energy. There's so many different dynamics to it. French Josh would be a different type of entertainer to me. I'd be more pure stand-up with a bit of energy. French Josh would be pure energy. Then we have uh, a couple of other, uh, Terry Norman as well, that he does support us sometimes. We have a band, you know, and Terry's a, Terry's a good lad as well, and he's a great lad to support us at the beginning of, of it as well. So, Do you step into a character before you go on stage? I wouldn't say I step into a character. I just magnify the character that I am I suppose or I find funny or find humorous it's like a truthful in your face humor with some very well delivered punchlines that's the way I'm aiming for sometimes it doesn't pay off like that we've had some shit shows as well but the majority of them have landed and the they're getting bigger, they're getting better. The bigger the crowd, I always find, the bigger, the better the show. Simple as that. The bigger the crowd, the better the show. It's because it f- you feel off the energy of the crowd. I mean, I remember having some shows. I remember in Athlone, the first time this ever happened, I was on stage and the laughter and everything was working. The, everything was working. The jokes were landing. The Even the facial expressions were landing. They were laughing that hard and it was so lively and there were people were enjoying themselves so much that the room in while I was on stage in my ears just went completely silent. I had everyone in the palm of my hand, in my hand, and I not owned them, but for them a couple of minutes I owned their attention. And that is a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And it's a feeling that I strive for in every show. Do you know what amazes me about you? I invited you to the island and you came and I was so delighted you came honestly you said yeah straight away and 
having you there was huge for me because I really admire you. Thanks, Al. And that's where I got to know you on the island and we had a few deep, meaningful conversations and mm-hmm. then we kept in touch. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've become closer and closer. Mm-hmm. We've met for dinner and we've met for coffee and we're coming up with ideas together mm-hmm. and helping mm-hmm. each other as best we can. Future ventures. But the thing that amazes me the most about you is you can be absolutely invisible in a room one minute and the next minute you can be the centre of the room. Mm-hmm. But when you are the centre of the room, there's absolutely nothing else in that room. Mm. And it's not very many people that can pull that off. Mm. You were telling us a story, I think it was about Brenda Fricker. We won't, oh. <laughs> we won't go into it now. Yeah. But I remember on the island, 10, 12 people sitting around. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of going to see Santa Claus in Westport House, mm-hmm. where all the kids are sitting on the floor with their legs crossed, and Santa's telling you a story about how he met mm-hmm. the press. Everyone was hanging on your every word, yeah. and it's the exact same on a live show. Yeah. You own that stage the mm-hmm. second you come out, but mm-hmm. I know backstage there's a, a slightly shy, awkward man. Yeah waiting to come on yeah and that's why i said do you step into this character because something happens when you leave that stage door something changes in you it's again it's it's flight or 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 it's it's flight or fight in that respect and another thing is i i've i've developed this thing over the years that especially in a in a room full of people i will let everyone have their few minutes i will digest everything i will suss it out and then i'll know how to deliver the, that story or grab people's attention and then you have to nail it and it, eventually you get so good at it that it becomes just natural and sometimes as, as French Josh would say as well brevity is the soul of wit sometimes you don't have to go on talking for two hours you know in, in, in a room full of people sometimes all you have to say is five golden minutes and that's it you know a lion as I said before in one of my videos a lion will never have to tell you he's a lion have you any pre-gig ritual? I do. I have a pre, pre-gig ritual uh, where I, I look at the same pictures of my, uh, my family and then I listen to the exact same song in my head and it's Kashmir, but it's not Kashmir by Led Zeppelin. It is obviously it's Kashmir by Led Zeppelin, but it's played by, his name is Nathaniel. That's not his name though on Instagram. If you look it up, Zeppelin Bantra. An absolute genius. I listened to his rendition of Kashmir. It's all it's all on the on the guitar, and then I actually just look through the set very quickly, and then I go, I bounce. Then I go on stage. What does that song do for you? It's at this stage. It just it it it's tradition, and I feel like if I don't listen to it, that it's not going to go well. It's just pure a hex, um, or hex is actually the the wrong word, but. It's it's just I feel like if I don't listen to it, it's not going to go as it should. Uh, even though it's probably not true, but it just it just gives me that boost as well and that confidence, and then I'm ready to take on anything out on stage. If people don't know what we're talking about when we when we talk about the island, I launched Northern Hemisphere Clothing mm. on an island, and I brought uh, I think there was ten people the first night and twelve people the second night to the island, and everyone had a fantastic time, and there was activities and food and. Uh, drink and messing and uh, we just had the best weekend ever and it yeah, was it was in a 12 people that really gelled well yeah, together it was very well placed 12 people that you couldn't have asked for 12 there were different people but worked so well together it just molded into yeah. a great group of people 
I think everyone was so appreciative of give being given this opportunity. Although, like a lot of the, a lot of us had big profile pages, we just probably didn't estimate or underestimated what we had, and we weren't used to being given this opportunity. And it was just a brilliant opportunity. So everyone was so thankful for being there as well. And like I said, you couldn't have asked for twelve people different in some ways but so so much in common in, in other ways and they've all become such good friends oh very much so yeah. and everyone's yeah. gelling well yeah. together like yeah. even seeing yeah. like I saw Classy Cody putting up a post there today about Hilary being her soulmate yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know me and, me and you yeah. have become yeah. quite close yeah. and Donegal Daddy like it's just it was such yeah. a beautiful thing yeah. to be involved in yeah. but the reason I wanted to talk about that was because everyone was up for the crack we were doing activities we were having food we were having a few drinks we were in the hot tub we were out kayaking we were doing everything and at one stage, you were in the bar when no one else was in the bar. You, mm-hmm. Everyone else was in the, say, lounge area. You were in the bar writing a show. Mm-hmm. You were writing your show in the middle of this hectic weekend when <laughs> everyone was gallivanting and, and looking yeah. for divilment. I, I remember it was before I went out to Europe and I knew I had to change the show to suit European audiences because the show is very colloquial based when it's in Ireland. So I knew that I had to do this. And even I remember leaving on the, it was a Sunday morning or Monday morning? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Yeah. And I remember going, walking, pacing the, the, the platform at the at the key, at the dock. And I remember going through it in my head because at that stage I'd left it very late, but I, I worked better under pressure. But but you see, at that stage, I, I thought uh, Three Books Show was just you kind of messing no, no. on a stage. And it wasn't until that day that I realized, wow, this is a production. Like. Yeah. There's there's a I've, lot of yeah. thought gone into this. There's a lot of work gone into it. Yeah. And we were all there waiting for the boat, as you say, having the crack, wondering when will we meet up again? You're pacing over and back learning your lines. Yeah. You were working. Yeah. That's what people don't see. Because my, my, my brain never shuts down, ever. And if I, if I see something that I can make funny, even for a video, I'll pull over on the side of the road and I'll, and I'll do it. Sometimes I'm in the, sh- I'm in the shower and next thing this idea comes into my head like like the one i done about the if if anyone has ever watched any of my videos the one i done about the the work the two slices of work and the lump of work in the middle i molded that whole video around that eureka moment in the shower i couldn't wait to jump out run up it was a beautiful it, had, it was the golden hour for anyone that doesn't know what the golden hour is when you're filming outside there's an hour in the morning and there's an hour in the evening where the sun is just beautiful the light is perfect it doesn't cast a shadow it's just on you it's like this natural light that was you couldn't recreate in a studio and i just hit that golden hour and i done the video and it just went ballistic you know it was just that beautiful moment but my brain never shuts off why should somebody come to a three books left show you should come to a three bucks left show if you want a complete energy shot, a complete energy boost and be left re- having an unbelievable night. It is if you're in bad form, it will put you in good form. If you're in good form, you will just have an exceptionally great night. There's so many great characters, French Toast, myself, Terry. If we have bands with us, we, we make we make the crowd involved as well. We'll drag it out of you. We'll, 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 if but not in a not in an intrusive way. No, no, no we're very, we're very yeah. like we'd be clever enough if this, if we thought to ourselves we've pushed it too far with this lad, we'll yeah. move on very quickly. We're not going to we're not going to put anyone under real strain or you know you'll judge the room. And uh, I have a few quick things at the beginning of the show you'll pick out 
while I'm doing this introduction or this disclosure, I'll call it, because I literally go out and explain exactly how this show is going to go. This is not for the faint of heart. And you're you're gonna you you can see people's reactions straight away, so you know not to go there, to go there, yeah. So on and so forth. And there's a few things I'll I'll say at the beginning of the show, and that'll determine some of the jokes throughout the show. What to add in, what to leave out. And there'll be a few hecklers that you can pick on. I suppose. Oh, heckler, we're we're unbelievably well equipped to deal with hecklers. You welcome it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the Three Bucks Life show is going to be in every county in the country this year. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We Look have, out for it. We've shows. We've two shows in Mayo. And believe it or not, Mayo has been our graveyard for shows. You'll never be a prophet in your own land. But these two shows in Clamaris and Belmullet, apparently, well, and not apparently, they're selling very, very well. So yeah. I can't wait to do big shows in our home county. But then every other county is going to get the same. Well, that's brilliant. Look at more power to you. It's fantastic. And, and no one deserves it more than you. You're, you're a hard worker. Are you under pressure at the moment? Under pressure in... In general. In life. Uh, you Do you would, feel yourself under pressure? You would be. You would be under pressure to a certain degree. I'm under pressure to come up with fresh content all the time. I'm under pressure to try and keep everyone happy at home. You have a day job. I have a day job. I have... But again... I wouldn't know anything bar pressure. I sort of, I, I sort of need pressure as well to, I need pressure as well to perform the best I, I can be. So, so, it's, so it's, to a certain degree, I need pressure. There's an, I, I put an awful lot back on myself and I know that we, we're coming up with a plan that might help alleviate that, but I take on all the responsibility of setting up the shows up till now. I take on the pressure of making the content or, you know, and also trying to perform as well. So I'm definitely going to have to take a step back and concentrate more so on my content and actually create a show instead of doing all the background as as well like that. Watch this space. Do you ever do you ever worry about yourself? No. Do you ever worry you'll get sick again? No, actually. And that's that's the funny thing. I I don't I don't I never worry about me getting sick again. I'm I'm I worry about messing up what I have. Um, in what sense? Ah, you do you know what my my biggest downfall is that especially even after live shows is the mad drinking. I'd love to, I'd love to try and park that for a while. Do you know what I mean? I could go. The thing is, I could go weeks without having a pint, but then when I'd have one. There's nothing else in the world bar having the crack and having pints. And but the problem is, it's not just that day. It's it takes me days to recover. So my sharpness is gone. My brain is dulled for three or four them three or four days, and I cannot afford to be wasting three or four days. It's huge that you recognise that. Yeah, because oh, a, lot, a lot of people it. wouldn't. Yeah, a lot of people. Hundred percent. Well, a lot of people would ignore it. Yeah, maybe they recognise it, but they ignore it and won't acknowledge it. Yeah, but no, do you I know definitely acknowledge it. I definitely that it's know. a problem. Oh, 100%. And how do you fix it? I run. I run a lot to try and clear my head. I try and come up with these challenges, which, I'm, which I will be doing again, uh, charity challenges, and that gives me something to focus on. And just, I'd love to be able to do the live shows. I'd love to be able to go out a night out. And I have to drink it all, but it's sort of, and it's my own fault. I've, I've made it part of the show. Do you know what I mean? It's, and I shouldn't need to, and I, and I don't need to, but I definitely do rem it when it comes to 
a bit of partying after it and, and whatnot. So that you know when you be. you have the live show and it's all finished and then you're going out. Mm. Do you feel like you constantly have to keep giving? A little bit, yeah, a hundred percent. Like you um, owe it to them, a bitting like that. And and because I've done it now for so long, and it's probably has its own reputation apart from the show. Of oh, I'll go and I'll have a have a pint with this one, or I'll have a drink with anyone, and I'll have a chat with everyone. I'd nearly feel like I was, if I could have to give it, if I've given it to everyone else, I have yeah. to give it to the next set of people. But there is nothing stopping me from doing that without having the mad drinking. Yeah, you know. So do you need you to separate? To, do you need to separate cowboy from Stephen? Uh, you know, Stephen is mad ambitious. Yeah, and he wants to be on Vicker Street this time next year. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Cowboy wants to be out having the crack and having yeah, the Yeah, that is true. But, there, but the thing is... Stephen won't day, put Cowboy to bed. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, they're the same they're the same person. So Stephen's, Stephen has to override Cowboy's desire to be... I have to admit, I've maybe sometimes let my ego get the better of me. So it's definitely an ego thing that I have to put but back in again. Can I just tell you, from outside looking in, I think... You need to put your ego more because I think it's kind of hard to explain. You're in a very difficult place because you're doing these shows mm-hmm. and you I don't think you realize how big you are or how much of effect you have on people. Mm. And, you know, you are the star of the show. Mm-hmm. People are there to see you. Mm-hmm. People don't get to go drinking with Tommy Tiernan after a show. I know that. And you're not the first person... You're not the first person to say that to me. People I don't do get to go that. drinking with Patrick Feeney after a concert yeah. in on Green on and Letterkenny. Yeah. He goes home. Yeah. He has a few drinks with the people that are closest to him. Yeah. Kevin Hart is a huge example of that. Kevin Hart, if you've ever watched the documentary on Netflix, you know, he has a pack and no one else is allowed inside the pack. Okay. That he has this pack and that keeps him safe. Yeah. And I think I did a sketch on it saying that I'm going to Belmullet with you. And we're going to stick together <laughs> and we're going to keep each other safe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But there was a bit of truth in that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm only realizing that now. <laughs> that there was a bit of truth in that. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying it to you is because I got a text message today and I was out in um, Edinburgh for two days. And mm-hmm. it, it's the first trip I was on as a few weeks ago, I was announced as this top 10 travel influencer. In yes, Ireland. I've seen that. That's voted by your followers. Yeah. It's not got to do with the amount of content you have or how great you are or anything. It's the amount of votes you got. And, and people like my Mayo content and they like my, wherever I gallivant, I was in Derry and I was in Cologne or whatever. And I have great followers and they voted for me to be in it. Mm-hmm. So I got this top 10. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. And I'm riding a wave and having the crack with it. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I landed to a hotel in Edinburgh and there wasn't a thing waiting for me, not even a bottle of water. <laughs> you know, and I was t- tell- saying that I expected all this stuff. But at the same time, then I got home today and it was brilliant that I got I got that experience to go and do this and showcase Edinburgh from my local airport. Yeah. Working for Ireland West Airport is, it, it's the biggest honour of all for me. Fantastic. For me, that is the biggest honour. It looked honor. like great fun. Like I started off with a drone, flying a drone around Mayo, showing off Mayo. And then yeah. to get the, your local airport that everyone's so proud of mm-hmm. and for you to be the ambassador of it mm-hmm. and be sent away to show this route. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's one of the proudest moments. And only for nine ninety nine at the minute. And only for nine ninety nine. <laughs> but then, sometimes people expect so much. Not saying the airport, like I have a job to do and I go and do it. 
But then I got home today and I had a text message on my phone and I'll read it out for you. And it's um, something to do with, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the last line was, can you get Alan Clark to do it as well so that there's more views or some shit like that? You, but how come you got that message? Oh, that was forward. Somebody was asked, so there's an event happening and I have no affiliation to this event. Okay. I have no affiliation to the people that are doing it. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I'm not from the area. I have absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. But we have a link. Okay. So I have a friend of a friend. Yeah. And this message came through today. Can you ask Alan Clark so that they get more views or some shit like that? Yeah, yeah. How disrespectful mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. That you break your balls yeah. for years. Yeah. You put yourself out there. You wear your heart in your sleeve. You try to do the best you can. You try. I'm not saying I was always like I, I was a bollocks growing up. I've I've made loads of mistakes. Haven't we all? I've gone to talk to people for years to try and, and understand why I've made these mistakes, you know. But I just thought, to be honest with you, I thought, fuck you. Yeah. You know, who are all you? Pe- people to will th- take, 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 take. Even people say, that don't know you. Come down here and get us more views. Like mm-hmm. a performing monkey. Yeah. And at what stage do we say, because if you say, hey, I'm not a performing monkey, then people go, oh, your man's got a bit big for his boots. Yeah, yeah. It's a v- it's in, and and Ireland is, is such a brilliant place and I love Ireland to bits, but there is that little begrudgery in, in the country. There really, there really is, and I wish it was the only downfall. But it goes back to the pressure I'm talking about earlier on with you. Yeah. That pressure now it's is huge. savage on me uh, to go uh, and yeah. do that event. A hundred percent. And then I, feel I put pressure on myself then for charities, because we've got a name now for giving shout-outs for charities, but once you do it for one, then you'll get ten more. And mm. And where does it stop? Where does it stop? And in the end, you nearly end up needing a charity yourself because you're you're spent and, you know, and then it's not as simple as hopping in front of the camera and going, no. hey guys, you know, please, you have to, for me, I feel like I have to make an effort with it. Hmm. I, I, if you go on and you just said, oh guys, please vote for little Johnny down the road. He's missing his top left shoe or his top left toe. Yeah. You know, he needs an operation for it. Um, you know, will you please give him a fiver? You can't just do it like that. No. You have to put effort into mm-hmm. it. You have to make it somewhat relevant and funny or uh, informative. And it's not just as simple as. And how do you disconnect yourself with the hundred messages you're going to get in the next 10 minutes for other GoFundMe links because you shared one? It's it's very tough. And for it took me a long, 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 long time to eventually say, listen, I'd love to share this charity board just after sharing a very similar event mm. it, I, it, it wouldn't do any good for you and it'll do no good for me yeah. because I've already shared a link in front of that and I can't keep I can't keep you know circling I can't keep asking the same people because that's another thing you'll see because I'll go and check you know any just to see how did it did it do any good because you do I mean you don't want to be doing it and not having an effect yeah. I'll go and check and it's always the same circle of people and I can't keep dragging from the same circle of people. And what people don't realise too, when you put up a bit of content or you do a few stories, you're getting engagement and comment and messages for 24 hours after yes, you've yes, done that. Yeah, yeah. People don't see that. Yeah. They see the six seconds of a story or 15 seconds yeah. of a story, but they don't know what you're dealing with for the next 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. You know. Even even if it's to do with the show, it's like, so where can I get tickets for that? And I've explained it in don't talk the video. 
I've explained it in the video. Did you listen to the video? I say, check the link. All the details are there. <laughs> so it couldn't be any more self-explanatory, but you're getting back. And it's like you have to send them the link directly. Yeah. And it's great to, that, you, that people want to come to the show, but people could make it that little bit you say, Easier. yeah, we're in Claremore's 4th of March. Somebody writes back, what's the date? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But my point, let's finish up now. But my point is, Stephen, you have to take a step back. Please. Yeah, I know I do. Back. I know I do. And I'm not some gobshite telling you that, you yeah. know, and I and we've spoken off the air as well, that I've worked with, with bands and performers and... Uh, personalities and I've been a booking agent and mm-hmm. I've been a manager and I've been a marketing manager and I've and I've dabbled a small bit like I'm a jack of all trades a master mm-hmm. of none mm-hmm. by any stretch but I've had great opportunities to work with people and you're heading for the big time and I'm not saying it because you're sitting here in front of me you Thanks are so. heading for the big time if you take a step back and I'll give you one last example that might land with you you don't see the managers in Aldi putting the bananas on the shelf where are they? they're in the office they're in the office what are they doing? Sitting down. <laughs> they're, they're running the store. They're running the store, yeah. What are you doing? You're yeah. out putting the bananas on the shelf. Yeah. And if you don't, take a step back from putting the bananas on the shelf and start running the store. Mm-hmm. You're going nowhere. I get you. I will take that on board. And I know I know exactly what I have to do. It's just a matter of doing it now. I'm going to come to your next few gigs and put you to bed. In a in a non sexual way. <laughs> <laughs> close on, or, close on, or close off. Close on, close on. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let you have. I'm going to let you out until half one. I hate yeah. Belmont is going to be bananas. You won't know what hit you down there. Yeah, well. But uh, listen, Stephen, thanks for being no honest problem. with us. It was thanks, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us, and the very best of luck with three books left. The live shows. Where can people find more information? You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Although. TikTok isn't much good for information for the live shows, but definitely Instagram and Facebook. You'll find all the information there. What's the dream in the next three years? The dream in the next three years is to go international, uh, definitely get back to Vicar Street. I would love to do at least in three years time, I would at least least have wanted to do two big challenges again two charity challenges I think they're great for your body great for your soul great for your mind keeps you focused gives you something to work for and I actually always said if I had a midland sized platform that I would love to give back then I would love to get back into film and longer sketches as well if it's YouTube or whatever Um, but definitely the live shows are my they're my baby without being my baby yeah, and I want to leave that legacy of being a top entertainer. Not so much a comedian, an entertainer. Well, the very best luck with it. There's no better man. Thanks very much, Alan. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie